Raining men, hallelujah! It's raining men. Dangerous, dangerous. Having men fall from the sky <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Somebody's bound to get hurt. Is all I'm saying. Mother Nature was a single woman. God bless her. Anyway, welcome to uh, an episode <laughs> of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Is that what this is? Yeah, we're back. We're back from the end of uh, of. Kung Fu February minus the Kung Fu, uh, but it was actually we figured out by the second episode it was cliffhanger. It was mountain climbing February, <laughs> and um, there is something I like to make an amendment on. Is I'm Dion Baya and I am Jay Blake, and this is Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. We were talking about mo- so much mountain climbing last month, and then the day after Blake and I sleep over and do our record, I'm watching a movie on a Sunday. It was one of the movies I got from Monster Mania. Mm-hmm. Last year that you and I went, why when we Monster go? Monster Mania in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and what I the the excitement for me going there a lot of times is is that I'll walk around and buy all those you know movies that aren't available on DVD that I have bootlegs, yeah, yeah. quote unquote. <laughs> and um, I bought one, and this was one of the ones that were just still lying around. I hadn't watched it. It was called High Ice from 1980. It was the most widely watched TV movie when it when it came out or something. It, yeah, everybody always says it was the most widely yeah, watched. Every <laughs> yeah, every TV movie you know, that ever came but out. But it had like 25 million people watch it, which I think is a huge number back in 1980. But it had starred David Jansen, which is people will know from the TV show The Fugitive. He was Richard Kimball. Mm-hmm. You know, had like a scrub. He smoked like four packs a day or something. But it's a mountain climber movie set up, uh, I think, in the Colorados or something where it's just hilariously, you know, same premise where these people bring unexperienced people up and then they get stuck and then one guy loses his shit he's the one who was the climber mm-hmm. and he starts doing crazy stuff because of hypothermia so David Jansen's the helicopter pilot who's retired the ranger and they're like we need you to come and he's like I won't go I'm retired <laughs> so he goes up and it's just, and it's fabulously done it was really I mean they're, they were putting people's lives at risk they're dropping uh, helicopters Hueys destroying shit people are jumping around I mean literally back when we Blake and I always say when they didn't give a shit about <laughs> actors and stuntmen. <laughs> it's on YouTube for free. Very exciting. And David Jansen ends up passing away from a heart attack in, I think, age 46 or 47, like a week before the movie came on television. 
So it was, I think, maybe, maybe that, his maybe last that movie. Played into yeah, just the, so much stress the of being on this. Of the yeah, people watching it. And it was fun because if you go on line you can find like whoever they shot it the community they, they still have like 25 years later and they have like every year they do like a retro screening of it of the movie and they talk about like they film the uh close-ups uh a, a high in the mountain they did it like uh they mocked it up in the studio in the high school gym you know they, you know so it was like they had the holding there so very exciting high high ice because we were talking about all these movies we had watched for mount, mountain climbing february and this slipped under our radar but we want to give credit where Save credit's due. for next mountain climbing, February. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> if we if we went and did part two, we did Vertical Limit, Alive, or uh, there's another one now. Isn't there one since? I don't know, in the past probably. couple of years. But uh, that was the, that was, I wanted to bring that back. But uh, we are back again today. And Blake, you were just telling me about some stuff you were going on and doing. Oh, yeah. Well, I uh, recently guest, guest starred. On an episode of Happy Days. <laughs> Featuring. <laughs> uh, on a podcast called 26 Movies from Hell. And uh, it's brought to you by the same people that brought, uh, yeah, 26 Movies from Hell. Uh, it's, by, it's by the guys that do Four Brains, Four Brains, One Movie, which I also guested on. And I just recently, the, the idea for 26 Movies from Hell is they pick four movies that begin that two, the titles begin with a letter Oof. so they started with a and they're going to do every a, every letter of the alphabet looks well, like sue grafton novels <laughs> and uh i i guess start on the f episode where we did from beyond but they do a cool thing that kind of uh, trying to get listeners or, or social media involved in which they pick four movies and then they let twitter decide which of the four that they're going to do so from for uh, for f i think it was they did from beyond Fire and Ice, which is nice. a movie that Deanna and I talk about off Frank Frazetta. <laughs> off mic sometimes. Uh, so they, what do they do? They come up with like seven or eight and then they narrow they, it down to well, four? Well, they come down, you know, we they talk about, you know, with me, the get, whoever's the guest that week, they, they come up with a list of movies and then they narrow it down to four and then they put up a poll on Twitter. And so I just did uh, <clears throat> From Beyond and... Probably another episode that's going to be dropping soon is I, and we just did uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which as everybody who listens to this show and Dion know, it's a very special movie for me. And it's just, it's a fun show. It's kind of, a, it's a very different vibe than what Dion and I do. It's a lot of uh, crude humor and joking around, probably less about the movies than, uh, definitely so, less about the movies than what we do on this show. Sounds like us off mic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just want to give a little plug for those guys because oh, nice. I like doing that show. It's uh, Bradley J. Cornish and Dan Pullen. Um, oh, good I dudes. See Dan Pullen all the time. On. Yeah, Dan. Both yeah, of them. Bradley both of them. and yeah, Dan yeah. are big uh, Twitter guys. And so oh, that's I, have a awesome. good, I always have a good time on that show, whether it's Four Brains, one movie where I did an episode on Martin and I think Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, uh, the whole did you do the Romero career? No, that's not that one. That was Sorry. for Wrong Real. Yeah, and Bradley and Dan are the only guys that keep asking me on. <laughs> everybody you know else what? has abandoned me. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to make sure everybody knows that uh, give support where that, that show too. exists, and that uh, I've been doing a couple episodes recently for them. So. And that probably where you can find podcasts, right? Like iTunes. Yeah, it's on iTunes, Spotify. Probably you know, they have. Big, they're bigger on Twitter than probably we are. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Wherever you find podcasts, yeah. So and you know, while we're here, th- th- give a shout out to what is it? The, the podcast. What was the one from England? 
that he gave us a shout out. Oh, Film 89? Yeah, Film 89, I think it's called. <laughs> I forgot the interns. Yeah, we're, we're scrambling. <laughs> we're running around. We didn't know they were going to bring that up. Yeah, Grab. Uh, print, print, can this print, can print, print, but the computer's not connected to the printer. There's this British podcast that... Yeah, uh, Film 89, and, it's, and you can find them on Twitter. It's at Film 89 UK, all one word. Film and then the letters 89, then, you know, tall UK. And I guess they, they have a segment where they answer listener mail. Yeah. And somebody asked what podcast they listened to. Yeah. And they were kind enough to... More than one of them, too. Listen to our show. Yeah, and they, they said we were... It, what do they say? I think they said the, the word I remember was absolutely adorable. Or <laughs> I loved it. Or as, I was like, yes. So thank you very much, guys, out there all the way across the pond. And uh, I think... So a couple other yeah. film podcasts out there in case you're, you know... Since we do every two weeks, if you finish our episode, <laughs> and, and you, you're looking for some, <laughs> you're looking some, for something else to hide, yeah. tide you, over. and you're getting sick of all that, like uh, you know, cold case crime podcast that I guess everyone <laughs> listens to nowadays. So, but we're here this week. We've, like we said, we've kung fu February minus the kung fu, but adding the mountain climbing has ended, and now we're we're opening in March. We're in the the March. the the month of my birth, and we're now uh, yeah, the birthday movie today yeah we're doing dion's <laughs> birthday movie today oddly enough and you know it is kind of i'll take this as a birthday movie funny enough um and uh so it's still winter out you know still march and uh we're doing something today from 1985 called peewee's big adventure is that, that what i never heard of it before <laughs> yeah you never heard what is this what is this 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 peewee's big adventure uh yeah so that's it have a good evening, guys. All right. Yeah. Good Good talking to Just you. Just mention it. Uh, so, 1985. This is exciting. This was a movie. We start going back, uh, turning back the pages of time. I remember I remember when we moved to the suburbs. I go back. <laughs> <laughs> turning back the pages. Here's the pa- as the pages turn. Um, remember when I moved out to the suburbs, kind of, uh, my father, which I think I've mentioned before, uh, became part of Columbia House. Mm-hmm. So we started getting those videos in the mail, the VHSs, and his first batch he ordered, uh, beautiful brand new VHS copies of Lethal Weapon, uh, Aliens, uh, The were Godfather. They, were they big boxes back no, then? No, they were by this time the cardboard sleeves. Yeah, sleek cardboard sleek, sleeves. You know, really, you can't even see the curve. <laughs> you know, you can't even Sometimes see how you can't even get the movie out. It's yeah, so tight. Exactly. It's like, oh, this is tight. <laughs> You know, and then you realize you're doing it for a half hour. They have to cut the thing. You know, it's got the little tab yeah, on there. For fuck's sake! But it's like it looks like origami. How this thing's made? It's like wow. Uh, so we had Leap the Weapon. We had Aliens. We had The Godfather. I think the first Godfather, which is a double disc, a double double this double tapes. And then the, he had something else. But the last one is uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He got for me, and uh, maybe even Lady in the Tramp because that plays in a little bit later into this. But so I had never heard of Pee Wee Herman. Of course, we didn't have HBO for me growing up. Yeah. So I'd never seen the HBO special he had done in 1981 or that it aired on HBO. And I didn't, I wasn't, I was young enough, you know, I wasn't watching Letterman at that time. So I didn't see, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. my first thing into late night com- comedians was probably Arsenio, maybe like 89, 1990. So I w- saw this and me and my friend Martin, who I always bring up, just absolutely loved it. And we just played the shit out of this. And I, I used to know this uh, line for line. 
as well as, uh, you know, I was huge into biking when I was little. I had a Huffy bike. My friend had a, a, a Kabuki BMX. So we would go everywhere on our bikes, which I feel like is like a lost. I think it is a bit of a lost uh, like, um, way experience. of life. Yeah, where you see children. it's being romanticized about a lot in these shows like It, the movie that just came out. Uh, the theatrical movie or Stranger, Stranger Things. Things where, you know, kids would just get back on. You know, and you see like a lot of memes about it. Like you always knew who, where everybody was. The kids were in the neighborhood because all the bikes were on their lawn. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it seems, you know, you think about how different our era is from now to then. But it, and it's weird because it's, I guess it's like us, our parents talking about the 50s. But it's like, you know, we just get on a bike. We've said this tons of times and just it was a whole other world, which I don't think really kids are exposed to really anymore, sadly. Yeah, whole, you know, there's a certain amount of freedom for children. Yeah, it's been that restricted. It has been lost. You know, and it's just it, it even just going outdoors. But but I've heard that kids don't from people that friends of mine that have kids. Yeah. Um, so most of them are are friends of mine that are a few years older than us, but that have kids of a certain age. Then I hear that you know they don't. Just, there's no like going out to play anymore. Like randomly, there's set play dates and stuff like that but there's no like I'm gonna get on my bike and go ride over to Dion's house and see see what's doing (laughs) yeah see see that'll be a pip you know see what's happening around there you know and it's it's just it's not even just going outside it was the experience of getting on a bike and going to like the woods or going to the park or going to the playground or going to the store to buy like you know coca-cola candy bars and like you know, Tootsie Freedom rolls. of the open road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you got that open road in front of you, <laughs> <laughs> and all you want to hear, like "Born to Be Wild," get your motor running. I know it's so weird to think like parents would be like arrested now for letting their kids just go in, without without helmets, without pads. I remember when I was getting out of riding a bike, when I graduated to like a pseudo mountain bike, which was also a Huffy. Uh, Huffy was a big, big brand in our childhood. Uh, you know, we, when you get into middle school and into high school, you don't ride as much. Your parents give you rides places because you're not just going to the park and playing. Uh, people were starting to talk about, you know, kids should really be well wearing helmets and, yeah. you know, and that's pads. Fun, that I, was, like, I was like, that's just, that's just <laughs> poppycock. That's just poppycock. <laughs> Joe Ruz, R-U-I-Z, that's for you. That's yeah. just poppycock. The helmets were starting just as we were Bruce. kind of stopping the, yeah. we were about to enter, get it, you know, driving around Out with of, our like, friends. Like when we were starting to hit puberty or something, you know, and it was just, it's so like you're saying, even when kids go over their houses, they're just watching themselves play video games or they're watching YouTube videos of other kids far away who make shitloads of money playing video games or, or, um, my brother was, I was just texting with my brother today about how my brother takes my nephew to the movies. Yeah. And my brother was saying, this is, you know, there's been this resurgence in his life of going to the movies because his son, my nephew, likes to go because my brother had kind of stopped going to the movies. Yeah, like, I do now. I don't go anymore. Yeah. And he said, but no one else they know, none of the parents, none of Dustin's friends, my nephew's friends, nobody goes to the movies. They're the only people he knows that goes to the movies. Does does the kid... Uh, does he take his friends? Do they, does your, does I, your I don't know if they sometimes take their friends, but he's like nobody else goes. That's crazy. That was a whole. And then my brother's like, how could, how could parent, how could a parent not take their kid to go see the new Star Wars movie? I, th- <laughs> I feel like it's probably it, now to them, it's probably like, a, there's uh, no way in there's no way imaginable that a kid's not going to enjoy that experience. I bet you it has something to do with now of um, them. You know, it's it's 
Um, well, it's complacency. Probably, it's also probably, you know, it's expensive now. Yeah, but still. the convenience. You can just, I'll, you listen, instead of getting the freaking kid together and getting them all right and whatever and then taking them in the car, I was going to say the minivan, to, to the and, and popcorn, I'll pay 10 or 15 bucks or $5 to rent it. He can yeah. have whoever the hell he wants over in his room. And, you know, and they can watch it on their tablet or on their, their home theater. You know, I wonder if people still do it with pop. I'm sure people do that. But it's just a whole other, I mean, that was an experience. My dad was primarily, I can count on my hand how many times my mother took me to the, to the movies when I was little uh, for just family reasons. Uh, she was busy, and my dad at the time, you know, he wanted to hang out. We'd go do that. So my dad would take my friends, who I brought up before, and we'd go yeah. with his friend. And it was an experience. You go to the movies. Uh, while, before you got there, you'd have to have a lot of time to play all the video games in the movie theater lobby. My dad would just drop, geez, I'm sure like 20 bucks on like me, my friend Martin, maybe my friend Chris or my cousin Benjamin, you know, just in whatever, the, you know. Uh, and by that time, we were getting into like, you know, having like, uh, uh, what's the hell the name? of? The, uh, I just was talking about this the other day. The... Uh, the the, the the F-16 fighter game when you oh, sit yeah, into it. Uh, yeah. Oh, Christ. And I was just literally, I always know. Anyway, but it's like we had those awesome kind of, you know, and those can be, say they're afterburner. Yeah. And those can say they'd be like a dollar, you know, because it's a big game. So it's like I can only imagine how much my dad would pay on like Ninja Turtles, the member of the video <laughs> yeah, game, the Terminator P- 2, yeah, game. Uh, kick, uh, Street Fighter, you know, all those, sent- you know, the, the zombie ones. And you then remember? you'd go to the movies. I'm sure we brought this up on a previous podcast. This, ha- this has nothing to do with Pee-wee's Big Adventure, because I didn't <laughs> see that. Neither of us saw it in the theater. But <laughs> we True. Go, maybe we, we should move we on. Start, no, but keep going. Finish your story, because we started down this road. I've there opened was the always gate. this game, and I don't... It's pr- we've probably talked about it before, because it is something that I remember fondly, even though I don't know if I ever even played it. But it was a fighting game. Yeah. And they were like holograms. Oh, yeah. I remember that. You mean in the in the... Uh, and not like they were, you know, because I think it was the, the mirrors. It, it was like a. It was was it one of those? It was almost like a table, long table, and you stood a, across from each other. Yeah, like a retro. It's almost like a hockey year. But yeah. it was, I think, you know, probably it was concave with some kind of mirror or something, and they would fire the because th- you could see it at like a planetarium. Sometimes yeah. you, you can see stuff like this where they use uh, like a concave rounded like orb mirror to make something look like it's. Uh, like Star Wars, like yeah, like yeah, talking like Princess Leia or playing the, the <laughs> and it was this game the where game. the play where there was play was like you were I playing the chess that. game, yeah, in Star Wars. yeah. And I was like, how did that technology not take off? And it's it's crazy because now I see online once I'm able to save some money for an extravagance like this, you see they you can get like uh, arcade consoles now that have like. 60 games in yeah, one console, yeah. so you can get not just like Atari, but stuff that was in the uh, in the amusement place or in the arcade in in that and that's yeah, amazing yeah. i mean it's just such a forgot i mean just going there and playing like remember playing like paper boy and the paper boys you remember i think you had like the uh you had the bike handles oh yeah you yeah. know and you'd have to throw the paper down the paper out or you had the there was one wolf or something where it's an uzi i won that game in boston we went to like oh operation wolf yeah, yeah you know and, and you had that little button where you can shoot the g- grenade you yeah, know and yeah. it was just I a had that big for uzi. nintendo that was i was awesome that game was awesome amazing you know it's one of the first i mean th- those where you can physically hold something and then we talk about lake george uh which we brought up last in cliffhanger because we were talking about the last of the mohegan soundtrack 
um, my family used to vacation up in Lake George, and Blake lived uh, close to Lake George. Yeah, like forty-five minutes to an hour south of so, Lake George. So this was an area that had like a, a like a small town. It was a resort kind of a town, and it, you know it had like historical stuff around it. But it had a, a lot of arcades there for the kids and stuff. And one of the arcades it had old-fashioned um, arcade games, and it had this one from the seventies, where it was like an actual six-shooter gun that they had, like, lead poured down or an actual, like, <laughs> repeating rifle, and you'd pick yeah. it up, put it in, and it would be a film, and you'd stand in front of the thing, and about three feet away, there'd be, like, a, a projector screen in it, and then it would come on, and it'd be, like, a film from the 60s of some Western guy walking out to you, like, live action, and you'd have to wait, and then if you see, like, the white, like, his eyes blink, the light in his eyes, you'd have to draw before he drew, and then, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd draw, and you'd click, and then you see there'd be a jump cut of him, like, drawing, and... Oh, you know, getting shot and falling, <laughs> yeah, and it was yeah. the awesomest thing ever because it was re- it was live action. You're interacting yeah. with a movie, and and then I remember getting like into middle school in the early '90s, also in Lake George, them having these new games. It was like the Choose Your Own Adventure game, mm-hmm. so it'd be like a live action western game with you with a six shooter, and then someone would come up to you and be like, you know, uh, old uh, Deputy Bart's down at the thing, and you better take care of it, Sheriff. And then it would say, Do you want to take care of it? Or do you want you know? And then yeah, and it was great. It's such great. Great, such a great era. But so, getting back to Pee Wee, I brought him up because the the script re- revolves around his bike. Yeah, and it was such a big thing, like bikes and doing stuff and bike accessories. And I, uh, I want to say the first time I saw this movie was I was still living in Philadelphia, so it had to be late eighties. Yeah, but uh, obviously after nineteen eighty five, and so we maybe talk th- about. I like to keep cutting you off. I'm sorry. When you went, you made the transition. If you want to listen to the the transition of Blake moving from Philly to the Albany area, listen to the Karate Kid podcast. <laughs> Do I talk a lot? Yeah, about we that. talk about the you know the, that was the summer you got into the car. I had the Karate Kid soundtrack, but that's the different. I moved from New Haven to Hamden, and oh, Dirty Dancing was the soundtrack. So oh, maybe was we, maybe, oh, maybe we talk about it in Dirty Dancing. I, mean, I thought it was we talked about the Karate. Kid. Oh, maybe it was maybe because both. the Karate Kid. Because remember at the beginning he they goes do, cross country. They do drive, and you you maybe brought that up. It was Dirty Dancing. And we might talk about it a bit in Dirty Dancing. Yeah. How, how my weird mom, is that? Because my mom, childhood. Because my mom and I listened to the soundtrack. All yeah. Way up to Albany. So anyway, so Philly. But uh, so it happened, was probably 86, 87, or 88, and there was a snow day. And normally if there was a snow day or something, or, you know, my mom was a single mom and worked, so usually I would stay at my grandmother's house. But for some reason, I guess that wasn't an option, or my mom just wanted to change things up. She dropped me off at this kid's house who I went to school with, who was not... He didn't live in my neighborhood, so it wasn't a kid that I hung out with outside of school. And we went and... Uh, maybe his, maybe since it was a snow day, your mom had to work, so she's like... Yeah, well, she had to work. I don't know why I didn't just get dropped off at my grandmother's house or my aunt's house, which was kind of the norm. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I think it was the only time I ever went to this kid's house. Oh, was, one of those times. was this, yeah. this time. And I, we were friends at school, yeah, yeah. so it wasn't that weird. But, but it's but, just that one time you always remember. <laughs> and he had it. The Pee Wee. Yeah, I don't know if he had it taped off of something or if he, I don't remember. But we watched it, and I think that was the first time I had ever seen it. Yeah. Uh, this was not a movie that was like a huge movie for me. I was into the TV show, yeah, Pee Wee's Playhouse, which was a Saturday morning TV show that started in 1986. So I probably was aware of Pee Wee Herman and yeah. knew the show. And I want to say I was aware that there was a movie, but I don't think I had seen it. Yeah. Because uh, I remember even with 
Peebee's Playhouse wondering why in the beginning he's on a scooter, not his bicycle. Yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> and then at the end... I always remember thinking that know, was weird. Yeah, you know... That he doesn't have the bike in the TV show. Well, we could talk about the TV show a little while, but for some reason, I never gravitated towards the TV show. Once I loved... I loved Peebee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Um... And, and then I became a big Ernest P. Worrell fan. So Ernest was on Saturday mornings as well. So for some reason, I gravitated a little towards Ernest on TV. Maybe because Pee Wee was just a little too far out there for me. I mean, I love the Christmas special. I still have his Christmas special on tape, yeah. the Pee Wee's Playhouse. But it was just a little wacky. There was too much for me going on. It is pretty wacky, you know? for sure. And I think you have to have a, um, a level of, not patience, but like I think I had ADD as a kid. So it was like so much. Because it's also, too, they're, every second they're going to like a vignette or they're doing some little thing or there's a little short film. Or, yeah. You know, there's little cutaways. I of, feel like there was a time when that's what, Oh, children shows were children shows were like, like I Mr. Mean, even, Rogers or Sesame Street. Like I grew up like watching reruns of the monkeys, and if you try to watch the monkeys now, it's like, what the hell is going on? It's so con- like convoluted. It's yeah, and avant garde <laughs> and kind of trippy. You know, it's very strange, and it's just like this weird yeah. assault assault on like your senses like, of what children see. And I wouldn't, I would never have say that you know. Pee-wee's big, uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse was like my story. Yeah. You know, it was my show. Yeah. But it was on on Saturday yeah. mornings. And so I think I watched it most Saturday mornings, yeah. if not all Saturday mornings that I was around. So uh, I may probably didn't watch the full extent from 86 to 90. Yeah. I probably at some point stopped watching it or maybe started to go out to play or, or whatever it is. But uh, so I was aware of him and I was aware of the, I, you know, like I said, I watched the show. But so the movie was never this big thing for me. So even as an adult, people always looked back at the movie super fondly, and it was uh, never a movie that I disliked. It just was never a thing for me. But I will say, like, watching it tonight, you know, it it was genuinely entertaining. There yeah. are some genuinely funny jokes in it. Uh, I mean, it's bizarre <laughs> in, a, in a certain way, but totally enjoyable. Uh, I remember then leading up to... <coughs> The big thing was when then P- when Big Top Pee Wee came out, yeah. Martin. Which and I, I that I've never seen. Well, Martin and I were very excited about that, and we did a sleepover where like my parents in the TV room area that Blake will attest to because he used to live, he used to come over the house. <laughs> I used to live there. He used to live in the house. <laughs> um, we could shut the door so you could have the thing closed off. We had a, one of the couches there would pull out to be a bed. Yeah. So Martin and I, the big night was like you know the Mar- Dion's having a sleepover. They're going to hang out in that room and they're going to watch. We did a double feature of Pee-wee's Big Adventure into Big Top Pop, Big Top Pee-wee while we were drawing and playing. And when we got to Big Top Pee-wee, it was just so out there. And I've only seen it that one viewing, and it was just so was weird. Was post-extension? Yes. So it's like 89 or so. Oh, because, yeah. yeah, they extended a, the, the they little extended back the area. Room. I, didn't, I didn't know the room. Yeah, yeah. But it's original the size. It was small, <laughs> that room. It must have been. Yeah. Because I know, because there's that step, I would imagine, which is where it originally ended. No, that was, that step would come down. It was like a, that was like a little sun porch that, oh, okay. that had been enclosed. If you remember where my dad's chair was, there was two, like, pillars. Yeah, They yeah. extended it by, like, I forget what it was, like, three, four feet, and it made a huge difference. Because I guess when we moved in there, they had already... Uh, winterized 
the back porch area. Yeah. So it became part of that living room because originally, it's I a guess, inside baseball. Yeah, a little, little, <laughs> little way, way out there. People are, like sitting there trying to draw out on their <laughs> napkins. Personal. Yeah. So <laughs> talking about a room that nobody has no, no frame of reference. Nobody's <laughs> seen. So we 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 locked ourselves in the room and we watched this thing. Probably eating pretzels or or eating like I don't know what the hell we were eating at the time. Probably like Elio's pizzas. Mm-hmm. Certainly that era. Uh, we should try to get Elios as a sponsor. And uh, <laughs> uh, we didn't like it at all, P- Big Top Pee Wee. And I cannot go back and say anything gay or nay of it because it's been since that viewing that I watched yeah. it. But it was so different. Where Pee Wee in this movie, you know, he, he can be bothered about girls or whatever. And in that movie, he suddenly, for lack of a better, better term, has a hard on for the beautiful Italian actress whose name for, escapes me, who's in. Rain Man, remember she's the one that Tom Tom Cruise is like. Yeah, she's also in. Uh, you see her nipple in that shots. one. Yeah, I think that's her. And then Pee Wee has a talking pig, and he's a he's like a he's a farmer, like he's almost like a uh, he's growing like he's almost like a like a like nowadays you see like a lot of the people doing like earthy stuff on their farms and doing yeah, you know yeah. growing soy and save you know he was doing shit like that. It was such a departure, and he's living in a small town from part one of that movie. I, just, I never got into it, and uh, it was only until recently I saw the original HBO show from 1981, and that I actually liked. But that's out there too. But I like that fun too because it's a little dirtier. It's a little. It was a, a little that, more blue. So <clears throat> that's probably a good place to start, which is yeah. the creation of the character of Pee Wee Herman. <clears throat> so he was <clears throat> Paul Rubens was uh, an actor. And I guess in the late seventies he joined the Groundlings, yeah, which is an LA-based uh, improv group where a lot of the alumni of the Groundlings and also Second City, which is the one in Chicago, yeah, they be, a lot of them kind of graduate on to being cast members of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I mean Conan O'Brien, Lisa Kudrow, uh, Phil Hartman, Julia Sweeney, John Lovitz are some of the people that came out of the Groundlings. Ground, groundlings, and they were the LA-based kind of improvisational troupe uh, of the era, um, and I think a couple other people too came out of there. But he was doing that for a while. He grew up in Florida, and then I guess went to LA. Jane Hooks, Jane who's Ho- in this movie, is she in? She's for a, a, grou- a Groundling. Oh, was, you're right, because yeah. that's how she had her and Phil Harmon were very close. Yeah, yeah, and they used to do a lot of Saturday Night Live skits together. And that's another thing too, because I saw. I guess I, I knew a lot of the Pee Wee Herman so well. When I went and sort of watched the Senate Out Live, I immediately knew who Jan Hooks was and Phil Hartman because I saw them yeah. in this movie. Um, so he goes there and he starts doing, I guess, doing improv comedy, right? I guess he was there for like six years or something. And he had a bunch of characters. He and had, it's an improv group, so there was the idea of improv is typically, I would imagine it was the same back then, is there's a scenario uh, given or predetermined or given by the audience and then you kind of come up with a character and you improvise within these set parameters and that's why sketch comedy is such a good place for people that are familiar with this because you're basically doing sketch you're just sketches you're just doing them on the spot and apparently there there were many characters Paul Rubens had a character that was a Native American lounge singer yeah uh, and Pee Wee was invented as part of a sketch that had to do with a. The sketch revolved around a comedy uh, club. Yeah, like uh, you know, like the like 
uh, Laugh Factory or one of those types of places. And he came up with this character because he could never remember jokes. So he came up with this character that was just kind of like goofy and yeah, like he it's 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 a guy coming up who can't really deliver remember. jokes right or whatever, remember punchlines. Yeah, and then trying to do stand up in front of a, a show, I guess. And, and he says that it was pretty much fully formed <laughs> from from the inception of it. But when you see early kind of incarnations of it, whether it be uh, in Cheech and Chong's next movie, you know, you can see there's a there is a subtle difference, an, ev- oh, uh, an evolution there. Yeah, yeah, it's not exactly the way Pee Wee. Pretty close. Yeah, but well, he gets. That, he says he gets to like the laugh on stage. The ha ha. <laughs> I can't. I used to have a great Pee Wee yeah, yeah. impression, but we now that did. I've got older, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and he says the name. It was partially inspired by this kid he knew when he was growing up, whose last name was Herman. Yeah. Who probably had like ADD that was undiagnosed. Yeah. Uh, who was just like really kind of hyper. Uh, and so it was partially kind of inspired by him. And I think he said the name came from... The Pee-wee came from the small little uh, miniature harmonicas. The yeah. The Pee-wee harmonicas. And uh, the suit he originally borrowed from a friend of his, the, the, the suit, but he gets the outfit pretty quick. And, uh, you know, it's the, it's the tight uh, gray uh, two-piece suit. Got the bow tie. Got the, the military-style haircut. Um, got the high water kind of pants with the with the patented kind of shoes. Speaking of military, his f- little known fact about Paul Rubens is his father was a. There's a lot of different things on here saying his father played professional baseball, or this or that. But a couple things I saw with his father was a pilot, and did a lot of piloting stuff. And he was actually one of the ori- original Israeli pilots, um, pioneering pilots in Israel. Huh. So um, that's either here nor there. But that's he flew for U.S. and U.K. stuff, so he must have got around and all that. But so Pee-wee ends up, uh, he he has that, he debuts the character on the dating game. Yeah, well, the dating game, starting from the 60s on through, the, I guess, through the 70s. Or into the, I think, the, the well, actually proper, I guess, in the eight, it goes into the 80s a little bit, too. Yeah, but I don't know how much they still did, did this. with the fake kind of setup yeah. stuff. Yeah, there was. They would have celebrities on, or they would have, you know, like Steve Martin did it. Yeah, uh, Schwarzenegger before I think he was a big guy. You know, big comic. Uh, a lot of they would hire comics to, to make the show entertaining. Because if you know, if you guys don't don't have to go too far down this, but if you don't know the setup, it's like there'd be a, a woman. I th- usually, I think it was a woman, right? I think it was. It went both ways. Yeah, depending so you, on the episode or the segment. You'd have like a lady come in and with the host, and then behind a wall. You'd have, th- like, you know, uh, bachelor number one, bachelor number two, bachelor number three, and she'd ask him questions, and then... And then based on their answer, she would choose who she wanted to go out on a date. At yeah. the end of the thing. And then if you've ever seen that Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, I think that's the Sam Rockwell movie where he plays the gong show, Barris, yeah. directed by George Clooney. They have a segment where they're doing Because that. he invented that show, as well as yeah. the gong show, which Paul Rubens was on as well sometimes, yeah. but not as Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, and the other, other characters. But the, so they would have... Typically, try to. Uh, sometimes they would do celebrities, and it would be specific, yeah. like you so know, to like keep Lee, it interesting. Like Lee Majors was on, but she doesn't know that she's asking yeah, Lee Majors questions, or they would disguise their voice. You see that a little bit earlier on in the fifties with like I got a secret or whatever. But to keep it interesting, you might have like a, a solid p- potential that could be her date, maybe a 
a nerd or whatever, then you might have the, the red herring yeah. or the plan. Well, is Andy the, Kaufman did one yeah. doing the latka impression, <laughs> the foreign guy yeah. impression. And so then, the, of course, the audience would eat that up. You know, yeah, and it was yeah. very interactive Studio City shit. So it's like the audience is yelling at her what to do and all that. <laughs> it's very much like Match Game. And that so it was an effort to, they would cast it to make it entertaining, not just to be a, a regular kind of dating game. Yeah. And so I guess for a, for a wide audience... Uh, Pee Wee Herman was debuted on that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, his character is weird because um, another, before we get too much further, I remember another notorious viewing of this movie, which is probably the last time I'd seen it, was in 2003. I slept over your apartment in Portchester. We went and saw over July 4th weekend Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then while we were there, I might have brought with me for this my copy on DVD of this movie because for some reason, me, you, and our third friend Aaron was like, let's watch the director's commentary. And we sat back and we watched the director's commentary of Pee Wee's Big Adventure there. And, uh, you know, we were listening to it. And it was back when we were all in the director's commentaries and stuff. Yeah. And, and then that was the same night where. Um, it's, a, it's just a, it's a, that silly story where I remember with Jonathan Lloyd Young coming <laughs> yeah, all yeah, over. That's, yeah. that's not worth going yeah, into. Yeah. But we went to Playland, right? Or yeah, we went to Rye, oh, that was Rye a, yeah, right. That was the same. Yeah, we went there and we had dinner there and Rye Play. And that was when Blake was still living with uh, Jonathan Jonathan Lloyd Young, who went on to be the, the Frankie Valley and the Jersey Boys on Broadway. And got a uh, maybe on Broadway, a, Broadway, <laughs> on Broadway. He and won the Tony. He won for the Tony. Valley. Yeah, and he went on and did the movie, the Clint Eastwood directed movie. And uh, we were talking about him a couple of weeks ago when we were brought up Biker Sanction. But uh, so yeah, that, there yeah. was this. Not to go too far down this, but there was this popular, well, at one point probably very popular like northeast small amusement park called Rye Playland and it's where at the end of Big the movie Big I think at the beginning too no no it's, okay. it's at the end where he's looking he's trying to find where the machine was because it's a traveling carnival oh and he finds that the machine is in Rye and he so on the he, boardwalk so where he finds the machine at the end of at the end of Big and when he makes the wish to become small again that's at Rye Playland. And Rye Playland was one of these places, if you're an amusement park enthusiast like myself, is one of these... Dates back to like the 20s. Yeah, it was one of those old-fashioned where you'd see them everywhere. You know, there was one in West Haven, Savin Rock, where I grew up. There was all over the eastern seaboard into like Pennsylvania and stuff. And very Victorian, so they had a lot of those crazy like the slides or like, you know, you get on and you go around really fast and fall off or rudimentary roller coasters, yeah. uh, carousels. But then... Into the turn of the century, 20th century, you know, a lot of those fell disrepair. People got uninterested. There was one across the river here in, what the hell was that called? Uh, Palisades Park, it was called. A very famous one on the Palisades uh, overlooking New York City on the New Jersey side. But during the 20s, 30s, 40s, into the 60s, these, these places just fell out of favor or people were doing other things. So a lot of them closed. And there's only a handful still left in the country, like compounds in New York, uh, of course, Corny Island, of course, is still, yeah. is, is, you know, but Rye Playland is one of the others that are still <clears throat> the original concept of that boardwalk and the nice turn of the century kind of, although they've updated their rides. But so we were going to college right near this, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour at most. I thought, drive. doesn't, doesn't oh, big wh- take place in Rye too? Where he lives I don't like? think so. Oh, I thought it was I mean, Westchester. It's, prob- <clears throat> it's probably someplace in Westchester, yeah. Connecticut. Okay. And, uh, 
You had been... And we had never gone. Well, I used we, to, we always used to talk about we should go. But I used to drop you off because there was a very big ice rink there. There was an ice rink, yeah. And Blake used to teach uh, ice skating. Uh, this is where it gets into the demographic of Blake <laughs> getting along with people's parents. Because Blake was a p- hockey player in high school. And yeah, you know, he used skated. to work for a, ho- a, a hockey skills school yeah up in albany area but then they would do camps. put your talent to use why not but they would do camps in like all over new york so, yeah uh sometimes i would get dropped off to do to teach hockey skills to kids in rye playland but we never went to the music no we'd park. always look yeah <coughs> I was like, always like we should go and then we'd never go and then i was living in portchester after we graduated and we st- and we still never went and then for some reason we decided Dion was going to come down for July 4th weekend, and we're like, fuck it, we're going to July. We're going to see New Terminator, <coughs> and we're going to go to Rye Playland. To watch the fireworks. Yeah. Uh, and we went to Playland. I don't remember Dion- staying for the fireworks. We might have not stayed, <laughs> okay. but <laughs> they do have big fireworks yeah, yeah, shows there every weekend. Because it's on the water. You're on the new Long Island Sound. And uh, Dion and, and a roommate of mine, Phil, we ha- I actually live with two Phils, but <laughs> we went to go see Terminator, and then we went to Rye Playland. And then that opened the floodgates for me and Phil. Phil Nuvia. Phil Nuvia, yeah. yeah. Then it was We've also out, brought up on the cast. Then before. out throughout the sum, every summer after that, we would go like twice a week. To Rye Playland. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> well, back then, if you went to Rye Playland, you could everything was like token or ticket based. Yeah. So if you wanted to go on a ride, you would buy a ticket yeah. to go on the ride. It wasn't like... Disney World, where you would buy a pass to enter the yeah, park, like a Six Flags. You could wa- you could yeah. do anything you wanted in the park, but to go on a ride, you had to pay for a ticket. This is more like a traveling carnival. Now <laughs> it's changed. Oh, I really? Think. I think last time I went, which has been a couple of years, you had to buy an entry, yeah, pass um, to get in, and then. But back then, you could go to the arcade. You could go. They had like live shows. Oh, so you can you, go and not. You could d- just walk, hang out, yeah. hang out. You uh, just not go on rides. I think that also changed because people there was there was levels of crime happening there as well as a couple people were killed on rides. You know, so I think they maybe they thought too many like packs of kids are hanging out here doing nothing. Let's yeah, turn yeah. it around so that. Well, anyway, it was a magical place. It was, and it's <laughs> it's probably nice. still is, but it's nice that it still has that kind of era. You know, I mean, all the rides, of course, have been updated, but you still have that kind of feel of the older, you know, like with the boardwalk. Yeah, but I feel like you know? they still have an, the old school, like the Dragon Coaster, which is still an old school wooden yeah. coaster that's probably been there. The carousel, I bet you, is really, like, really restored and antique. You know, it's, it's a very cool yeah. place, and it's a shame that there's a lot of, probably a lot of those kinds of places don't exist Yeah, it's a great anymore. PBS documentary from, like, the 90s that you can catch once in a while on your local... PBS station that'll play at three in the morning about the history of these, and it's very fascinating. Anyway, and they bring Ryan. Why are we talking? It's a about weird Ryan? tangent. So, oh, so we were talking about Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and then I said that I had seen this movie with you uh, that time growing up, and then oh, so getting back, <laughs> getting back on the road, putting steer, it in first. Steer, 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 <laughs> 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 I got up and grind those gears. Um, his character, I never realized until fairly recently, for some reason. Someone asked me, "Is he supposed to be playing a child, or is he is a child?" And I and it's, it's a weird, ambiguous. Yeah, because he lives by himself. Yeah, it never occurred to me growing up that he was supposed to be a, like a kid that you could substitute maybe like, um, you know, a, a child actor of the '80s in there, and it could have maybe worked conceivably. Yeah. I always thought that just Pee Wee was just this character who obviously I never got any 
connotations of sexuality, you know, like if you're a boy, you have the mindset of a child, you're not really thinking about women or bo- whatever. Yeah. So I always it's clear just, like women like him. Yeah, he's he's attractive or whatever, but he's not bothered. He's kind of more like 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 a kid was. You know, you like your gadgets, your things, whatever. You like your other friends, you know. So uh I never th- put one and one together is he is he supposed to be playing cuz a lot of there's another inspiration there's a there's a very famous uh pioneering 50s uh morning kid cart show host called Pinky Lee. Yeah. And Pinky Lee had a lisp and he's the one uh his phrase is ooh you you make me so mad and I think we you our generation knows that phrase from cartoons or whatever but don't know that he that was his his phrase. So yeah. and he was very big and he had like you know he was he came out of burlesque so he had like the the big big over pants and he had like maybe overalls he had a small hat a checkered thing he had like I said he has a lisp when he talks he does some things and he's doing shtick after shtick because he was burlesque out of vaudeville and he had a lot of people on like you know old vaudeville or burlesque comedians to do shtick so. Uh, and then that would be followed by Howdy Doody, the Howdy Doody show, back to back. Yeah, well, that's all where all the inspiration for the yes, the, for, for, for the stage play, the stage show, and then the, for the TV show. Yeah, not so much the movie though. Yeah, yeah. So, so he develops his character Paul Rubens, and he's and he also has he wears like slightly red lipstick and a little a blot, rouge. And I don't know if that's just when he's on stage, so you can see he kind of like looks a little. Pale, like, yeah, yeah. Like I can't see him like he's actually doing an active decision as a, to like put makeup on. He might be just doing it because in theater you're supposed to put a little eyeliner on so your eyes pop a little bit. Well, and, I you think know. you know there's probably a little bit of the. I would imagine that the, the makeup is probably a little bit of a uh, like a child a nod, not to some child or like a ventriloquist. I was going to say like, like yeah, or, like a like a um, you know uh, what's his face of. Uh, Charlie McCarthy kind of yeah, a, yeah that kind I would of imagine thing. that it is a kind of a conscious red choice but so I, my understanding so he goes in the early 80s and auditions for Saturday Night Live and this is the year that Lorne Michael has left and they're replacing the entire first season all the cast members had left so, so this, this is, is probably like 80 80 yeah and this is the cast that brings in Joe Piscopo brings in uh, Eddie Murphy maybe Bill Crystal, and uh he gets to be like the top. He's like in the top three or four, and he doesn't get. And he ends up losing out to Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah, who, if you watch episodes that season, well, a very, like, doesn't really do anything. Well, because you know what ends up happening is they end up then dropping almost the entire cast, and the only two people they hold over are yeah. Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy, and then they recast it with other people. And then there's a great couple years there until you get to like eighty five, eighty six, where there's that weird. Like Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid, Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Michael Hall, the girl from Seinfeld. Joan Cusack. Yeah. yeah. And then around that time is then later, 86, 87, you get Dennis Miller, you get Phil Hartman, you get Dana Carvey, you get Kevin Nealon, you get Julia, uh, uh, what the hell's her name? Julia, not Julia Sweeney, uh, Jackson. Anyway, so... um, He's there, but I feel like you know. There's this period where he gets rejected from that, and he doesn't really know. It devastates him, right? He yeah, says yeah. like it's just like he's like he doesn't know why it doesn't happen. So he goes back to L.A. because he's living in L.A. at the time, and he and he says that this decision, the rest of his career, uh, he looked at it was despite the rejection he got on Saturday Night Live was going to be like like you know uh, a comment on like he couldn't get Saturday Night, so he's going to try to break out and make it god damn it yeah. you know so he gets 
he goes back to his his growlings um, troop, and he also his parents are living in Florida, which comes up later, Sarasota, Florida, and stuff. And he gets his parents. The urban legend is he gets his parents to wire him like three thousand dollars. And with the growlings people, and particularly Phil Hartman, they start trying to develop a shtick or something. And then with that money, it leads to them putting on in a year or two this production. He decides that he's going to take that Pee Wee character Pee-wee and Herman try to show. do something with him. And so it's my understanding that the, the Pee Wee Herman show starts out as a midnight show at the Groundlings. Yeah. And then eventually probably gets too big. In 81-ish. Well, in like 80, because then it moves over to the Roxy Theater, and that's when HBO films it in 80. Yeah, it debuts. And then then it becomes a special in 81. It debuts in February 81 uh, at the Growlings, moves to the Roxbury for five weeks. It's sold out every night at the Roxy. Yeah. And at some point, uh, HBO comes in and tapes one of those performances. Okay, it was my. I thought it was an eighty, and then eighty one is just when, the, sh- when the, the show. I mean, eh. if, you know, if, if it's, it's if it's February of eighty one, it's still say. eighty. <laughs> yeah, and then this airs, I guess, in eight, late later in eighty one on HBO. Yeah, and it, it to a pretty wild acclaim. Now I watched the the and this is a show that is kind of inspired by the old what Dion was just talking about, Pinky like Lee and the old uh, Captain Kangaroo and Howdy Doody. Yeah, what's the one? It was a. Uh, but heavily seemed inspired by uh, Soupy Sales had one, yeah, uh, and so it's kind of like a almost like a Saturday morning type, like hey kids, children, interactive, show. and you know, and so it was. But it know, secret a- words. A lot of what becomes the eventually becomes Peepee's Playhouse, yeah, is very much the wall clock. You know, is in there, and I think even the. Isn't the like the little pterodactyl thing? Terry isn't he? Yeah, in he's it? in it. And, and uh, what's his face? The uh, amazing, not amazing, Larry. The guy who's in the um, oh, Jombie. Uh, Jombie's there. He's in it too. There's a mailman. A lot of the people get recast, except Jombie stays the same actor. But uh, you get a lot of like Yvonne. You get a lot of people who the characters. The characters, saying, yeah. yeah. And what I liked about it because I, I I had never seen it all the way through until recently. I, feel like is I saw it cl- when we were in college. I feel like I watched you it did. for the first time. Uh, it's it's funny because it's 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 a step dirtier. Yeah, and it's not well, too it was, dirty. It was a night. Yeah, it was a like a late back. night show. So, yeah, I mean live show. So it was for audiences. So I it, mean for adult an adult audience. And it's not excessively dirty, but it's funny stuff that you'd see like kids doing. Like so, like uh, oh my my little sister's coming over to like mirrors. So they get put mirrors on their shoes because she's wearing a dress. So then when she comes over, they're just like putting their feet under their shoes yeah. to look up. It's like funny stuff. Trying like, to see her underwear. She's like, well, I'm not wearing underwear. And then they look again or whatever. <coughs> they feel ill. You know, it's like and it's just funny. Even like the looks he does like where he's like she, a girl's crossing his legs and he's like <laughs> you know, you know it's, it's got some but when they go on and we can talk about when they end up doing the playhouse, they, they severely tone that down and take that out, which yeah. I think is fine. Um, and then at, along this time, he also he shows up in the cameo Blues Brothers. That's 1980, 79 or Yeah. He's, but he's not playing uh, Pee Wee. No, no. Yeah. He's also in, uh, he p- kind of plays Pee Wee in uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie. And then he's also in. He's uh, a couple scenes, right? He's not just a cameo? Yeah, well, there's a couple of scenes where he's, you know, I guess he's the same. It's been so long since I watched that movie. And I'm such a fan of the first one that when I tried to watch the second one. Is that the one with Stacey Keach? Yeah, and they're so. going around in the truck. Then the truck's like it's just so full of weed. The second one is so weird. Yeah, I, that's another one I've tried. It's hard to. Uh, but yeah, all... he has quite a big part in the second one. He's in a he's in a bunch of scenes, and then he's also has a, he's in like a very small cameo 
I don't even know if he has any lines in Nice Dreams, the Cheech and Chong movie. Yeah. And so he got in there, and then also in the early 80s, he started playing Pee Wee on The Letterman, Late Night with David Letterman. Well, that's the that's the um, the takeoff for him, because at the time, using myself as an example, a lot of people didn't have HBO. So if you missed that HBO special, um, you didn't know who he was. But he became a reoccurring uh, character that Letterman would have on. And that exposed him, because he's on the big three networks, that yeah. exposed him to this entirely new audience who he became almost like a little shtick. And this is the this is the years of Andy Kaufman doing that shtick too. Like you do have people coming out doing, you know, oh, sure. pseudo yeah, characters yeah. of the era. Yeah, because like he wasn't coming on as Paul Rubens. Yeah. He was coming on as P. B. Herman. And I can't say So everybody kind of assumed that this this is that who he P. B. Herman was some kind of stand up comic and this was like this character that he was his stand-up it's like a Tony Clifton but kind like he of a, was Pee Wee Herman. And I can't say that even after he uh, becomes Pee Wee Herman and starts doing Pee Wee Herman stuff, I don't think he ever goes on as Paul Rubin's shows. I mean, there is a there is a point where he decides that he will only do appearances as Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. But I don't... Well, because even in the movies, he's not credited. Yeah, oh yeah. It's Pee Wee Herman as, as himself. himself. Yeah. Not as... Not Paul Rubens playing Pee Wee Herman. And it's only until like the 90s you, you make the disassociation like, oh, it's this guy named Paul Rubens plays Pee Wee. Which is probably after he gets arrested. Yeah, and then he starts to do other things. Because then he's in Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. the movie, not the TV show. Yeah, and he's in a couple other things of that era. So, so he's doing everything uh, as, uh, as Pee Wee. And he's probably doing. I, I think he's even got a star on the Walk of Fame as P- as Pee Wee, not and, Paul Rubin. That's the th- yeah. It's again. It's, you're right. It's part of that building this character up where you know he becomes this kind of like mythical kind of a like a you know uh, one of these eccentric kind of personalities you see in that era, which is you know I mean there's. I said already, Andy Kaufman, that guy Yaka, what's his name? Yakov Smirnov. Yakov Smirnov, or. Uh, uh, Tony Clifton was an alternate ego of Andy Kaufman, but I feel like there's a couple other people that would just have a shtick and come on, and you would. I mean, even Gilbert Godfrey, to a certain extent. Yeah. If you're with Gilbert Godfrey off camera, he just talks like an old man, like, hi, how are you? But then when he turns on, he's like, I talk like, you know, you know. Well, it does seem like there was a. I mean, maybe it's still that way with stand-up comedy, but it does seem like there was this period of stand-up comedy where you had that shtick. Like, comics had their shtick. There was, like, the you might be a red uh, a redneck. You know, yeah, you know you're yeah. a redneck if blah, blah, blah. Or Tim Allen with his, like, macho, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, character that later becomes... Or even you know, Larry the Cable Guy. He's someone, his real name is Eli or something. Whitney. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was this... You know, and, and that's a thing where I've, I've met uh, Larry the Cable Guy several times. Wonderful guy, but... I, it's another thing with me. I never realized until you're off camera with the guy that he's just he doesn't he doesn't have a heavy southern accent. He's just like, hey, how are you? I mean, he has a, a kind of a southern accent, yeah, but yeah. he puts it all on. So that was that get her done. That's a character he's invented, you know. Yeah, so yeah. it's just, and that's probably I think he said there's there was other incarnations before he got to Larry the Cable Guy. So it's a lot of times you just forget that that is. Oh, there is uh, somebody else under there. It's almost like someone dressing up in drag, like RuPaul. Yeah. You know, you don't realize RuPaul actually... Now you do. Ru- RuPaul does stuff as as himself on these reality shows. But at the time, you only knew RuPaul as RuPaul. Yeah. You know? So Pee Wee Herman was Pee Wee Herman in the early 80s. Yeah. You didn't really know that there was a Paul Rubens. Not that you're even thinking that far <laughs> down the road. You know? Or you're making the connection together that, that you know, he was in... Blues Brothers are in the yeah, Up yeah. Smoke movies. But so I guess the success of the HBO special and then his, appearance, his appearances on Letterman lead to Warner Brothers wanting to 
make a peewee movie, right? Yeah, he, he just they, I guess they 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 sign him for something and to develop something, and he takes uh, Phil Hartman and his other friend at, at the Growlings Groundlings, and they start trying to work on something to develop. And, and I guess they're working. They must have given them like an office or a bungalow on the lot. Yeah. Uh, because he talks about how they were working on a script that was something completely different. Yeah. It was like an unofficial remake of the movie Pollyanna from 1960 starring Haley Mills. Yeah, the except Disney for, version. Except for with Pee Wee instead of the Haley Mills. <laughs> yeah, because I guess Paul Rubens attributes to this being maybe his most favorite movie or one of his favorite movies, the Pollyanna. Yeah. So he was thinking of having it be that kind of um, idea of Pee Wee going to a town and like changing these people's lives or whatever like that. And I guess they were about halfway through. I, I think they... Originally, maybe they were having a darker kind of a, a script, darker as in like dark humor, black humor. But I guess they were toning it down a little bit for this for doing the a Pollyanna kind of thing. And then he's on the lot for a couple of months, and he's with his agents. I guess he has more than one. He talks about maybe two people or whatever. He's walking, and he sees everybody has bikes. Yeah, like Dion and I went to this is a, yeah another great the Disney Burbank lot, the Disney Studios. Uh, I got got like a private tour of the Disney, of Disney Studios, which we could talk about later on. Uh, comes up, but yeah, and there's just bikes parked everywhere, and because they're all like animators and artists and stuff, they all kind of make they all trick out their bikes artistically, and they call the bikes names. Like they some some of them have like little license plates with and the bikes are named. Because yeah. back in the day, you think about it. Prior to even golf carts, that's how, you know, if you have a big studio you need to get around, they'd give you a bike and you got to go from this building to that building or whatever. So everybody would have bikes and there's bike stations. So, so there are, I've now been, I've now toured, I, th- per, I think maybe all of the Hollywood studios. I mean, Dion and I did Disney and then later I did Paramount. I did Warner Brothers a couple of times, one as part of a group, two, and then once I did privately with John Lloyd Young, who we just brought up because that's where they shot. Jersey Boys. And he took you to Eastwood's office and, and stuff. We went to, um, so we kind of walked around and just kind of hung out on the lot. Uh, Looking for Clint Eastwood. Mike's <laughs> like, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> really not, though. I'm really not my friend Dionis, but yeah. I want to rub it in his face. Exactly. Uh, I did Universal, which I didn't care for. Um, just like the, why not? Ju- I just care for it. Just the, just the, the tour itself was not geared towards we, me. It was more geared towards people that wanted to go on rides because they also have the amusement park there. We have a side cast from a couple years ago uh, that we go into detail about all this. Blake just got back from maybe promoting Score to Death. You're on the West Coast doing a signing, maybe probably. And we t- we we do a side cast and we go into this in detail the, the details of the tours you did and all that how fun. And then I later did Sony, which yeah. was which is a pretty cool which is a pretty cool tour. But uh, when you go on these slides, there are. There's a lot of bikes and there's a lot of golf yeah. carts. And the, that's how you get around. The nice thing about the, the Disney one you and I went on, the only one I've been on, the, on the Burbank lot, which is close to the public, is how, we talked about also before how it was built and Disney, Walt Disney's conception of how he made it and all that. But it has that 40s and 50s kind of a yeah. feel with the buildings, very like um, beautiful Art Deco, mid, middle century kind of feel. So... Rubens is walking around Warner Brothers and he's like, you know, when am I going to get a bike? Yeah, everybody's got a bike. How come you know, I don't have a bike? And he's like, they're like, oh, so like the next day or the next week they present him with like a 1947 or 48 brand newly restored, I think it's a Schwinn yeah. uh, bike and he freaking loved it and he looks at it and he realizes that this is the movie. Yeah, that's the movie. You know, it's that Pee Wee's in love with his bike. Yeah, and then it gets stolen. And that's the movie. And it becomes this road film of them tr- of Pee Wee trying to get the bike back. So they scrap the Pollyanna script, uh, the pseudo remake, and they get to work 
doing to trying to write this script. And they talk about we've brought up occasionally Sid Field, who did that Save the Cat uh, book. He did a uh, a, a book on screenplay writing in the late seventies. Yeah, called that was like um, the Bible of. Screen it was like writing. The, yeah, it was like the the hack. I think it was it's just called, called screenplay. I think it's, I think it's just called screenplay. And it was kind of like the hack. Like what do you call that one? It's life hacks. It's yeah. kind of like breaks down how. And now that's a whole conversation for another day, debatable if that works or whatever it is. But it was the typical model of if you analyze screenplays, how a ninety minute screenplay equals ninety pages, and what the and it's broken into three acts, yeah. three act structure, and all this stuff. And, and what they you basically want to just read that book because they had never written a screenplay yeah. before, and just made sure they checked all the boxes. It was 90 pages. It was a 90 movie. Like page 30 is when his bike gets stolen. Which is the end of Act 1. At the page 60 is when his, he finds his bike. Yeah, end of Act 2. <laughs> and then, you know, so you kind of say, and the, I mean, it's, uh, even if you end up disagreeing with with the idea, I mean, I love these these behind-the-scenes stuff. I, I wholeheartedly recommend checking that out in the Save the Cat. I just find yeah, it fascinating yeah. that you realize that there is a mechanics behind how you write. And then when you... Our movie fans, like all of us who watch this stuff, you start to see a lot, and then it also starts to become annoying. Oh yeah, you know? well we talk, we we mean we talk a lot about we talk a lot three act structures yeah. on here, and 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 especially when a movie doesn't adhere to one, we talk like it's brought up. Yeah. We'll bring up like it's a really interesting that this is more like a four act, a weird four act structure, yeah. which is not t- typical. And then like the MacGuffin, uh, which. Uh, it goes a term going back to Hitchcock, which means just a MacGuffin is whatever you need to propel the idea in the script. So, if it's a Bond movie, you need to get like the serum to whatever, or the Hitchcock movies, you don't know what's in a suitcase. Pulp Fiction, yeah. there's something in that suitcase that they have to get back for um, Marsalis. Is that his name? Um, uh, what's his face's character? Bing yeah. Rames's character, and you never know what's in this, the, the the suitcase, except that when you open it up, it lights up and it looks amazing. <laughs> but the point is, you that's not the point. You don't really. It'd be nice. It doesn't to matter know what it is. It's just that the, it's what propels the characters to go through the story. So the MacGuffin becomes his bike. Yeah, that's 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 that's, that's the stealing of his bike is what propels Pee Wee to. Yeah, you know, go through what becomes the narrative of the, of the movie. I remember freshman year of college, we're going to like you know whatever that class was, and they're talking about MacGuffin. I'm writing it down. I just feel like what's a MacGuffin? So, uh, so they crank out a script. They shit out a script out, and uh, I guess for the most part, um, you know, Warner's is happy with it. There's there's not that much. I mean, you know, initially until they start wanting to, you know, they start when they start shooting, they start asking about stuff and like that. Uh, and then they start shopping around a, looking for a director. Yeah. And then we get into... It's kind of a weird... It's kind of a magical time in, I guess, in Hollywood. I mean, it doesn't seem like it probably works that way anymore, that one, a major studio would make a movie like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and two, that they would hire a director whose really only credits or, were as an animator for Disney, but then... Two short films, one of which was a stop, like an animated movie. Well, I guess that, yeah. <laughs> at the time, they were, if they looked saw people with some sort of talent or experience or something, they 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 looked at there might be some sort of uh, potential there. Uh, we should also mention that while he was on Letterman, um, leading up to the Warner Brothers signing him, is that he had a traveling show that was the Pee Wee Herman show that he did all over the country, and he would do like a Carolines in New York City, and that was selling out. And then he in 1984 he sold out Carnegie Hall in New York City. So that must have been Warner realizing, you know, this this guy's got something. Let's hire him. Yeah. So when they get to, yeah, so you get to Tim Burton. And it's another funny thing looking about all this is that we've talked about Tim Burton on this cast. And I got to say, 
growing up, it's like I guess I was a really big fan of Tim Burton. I, I you know, I, I was looking back at his catalog of of movies he's done, and there's a good amount of them that I really like. And then I think it's only maybe once post Mars Attacks, I think it is, or maybe even post um, what's the name of that movie? Uh, Sleepy Hollow is to me when he kind of starts falling off. Yeah. But if I go through his catalog, you know, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Nightmare Before Christmas, Ed Wood. Uh, James and the Giants, Peach, Sleepy Hollow. I even liked Planet of the Apes, but I know people don't like that. And then I only saw Big Fish once, and I don't. I thought it was okay. I don't remember not liking it. And Corpse's Bride, and even up in recently Dark Shadows, and he has that new Dumbo coming out. Uh, but for me, growing up, especially seeing this, going then right to see Beetlejuice, and then seeing Batman, yeah. he had an awesome style for me as a kid that I really, yeah. really got into. It wasn't... <laughs> I mean, certainly, look, all those movies were really big for our generation, for children of our generation. You know, we... I was never... I mean, I loved Batman. You know, we have a huge Batman cast. Uh, But... uh, I I liked, you know... Same with Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. Like, I I was the same way with Beetlejuice. It was like, it was okay. Like, I liked it. I didn't dislike it. Yeah. But it was... They were... And I had seen Beetlejuice probably a bunch of times when we yeah. were, because I was I got a lot of play and it was kind of a big movie. And, yeah. But I never, I don't know. He's never, he's never really done anything for me. Yeah. You know, I like Batman Returns, uh, although it's been so long since I've seen that. Um, never really disliked him. Never really would never say that I'm a huge fan of his either. Uh, but which reminds me that uh, Paul Rubens has been on the show before. Yes, Paul Urban's has been on the show before, <laughs> and that's his. In, he's connected to Disney from what year did we do? That's in the first year. Yeah, that was our first year, I think. One of one of the first uh, we 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 started ex- thinking of movies to do when we did um, Flight of the Navigator, which he voices uh, compliance or whatever yeah. that, and that is right around. He basically is doing. It starts off. Um, go listen to that podcast, but it starts off being like kind of a normal voice, and then when he. He touches the kid and downloads the kid's memories, or gets the, the Earth experiences. Yeah, that's when he develops the Pee Wee Herman cadence, and then all of a sudden, it's basically the little kid in it talking to this uh, UFO computer that's talking like Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, and it's prior to, I guess that's what eighty five or eighty four. I think the movie comes out in eighty six, but who knows when they? Yeah, I had seen shot it, it and done the. The, the the stuff for that because yeah. I had seen it prior to Pee Wee's Big Adventure yeah but I never made the connection between I never said oh that's Pee Wee Herman just it was a crazy voice saying like compliance or uh. <laughs> but you know I never put one and one together and then afterwards seeing so that's a good point Paul Rubens is doing Flight of the Navigator um, basically doing that they must they must have been looking for just someone to do like a kitty kind of a voice yeah uh, Tim Burton uh, comes into play here because Tim Burton uh, grows up in California. He, uh, at a very early age, he, he's doing like 8mm films. He's a huge fan of Vincent Price and, uh, you know, B-horror movies and like Dr. Seuss and that kind of a thing. He, he wins a, um, a, uh, a contest uh, to, uh, about anti-littering and his, his, his picture he draws in ninth grade, his artwork adores the Burbank garbage trucks for a little while. And he ends up 
you know, not knowing what he wants to do. And his parents were always like, you know, get out of the house and go do something. So he'd go outside and he'd like, you know, make little short movies. Like he'd do stop motion stuff or whatever, or start making like just short movies, like kind of like what Blake and I did growing up. And he ends up graduating, going to a year to Caltech or to, to what's the name of the place? I think it's uh, Cal something. And he uh, gets a job at Disney and he gets a job at Disney, I guess in 1979 ish. Because they're doing the Fox and the Hound at that time. And uh, it's interesting there because he realizes um, it's, you know, he doesn't, he has a particular style. And it's hard. This is a distinction you have to realize, I guess, becoming a professional artist of this kind of extent where you may have a particular style that you like to draw, but then you have to adhere to whatever place you're working at. Like, so if you're working at Marvel, you got to kind of draw stuff that looks kind of Marvel, yeah. DC or whatever. So he gets on, he's working on Fox and the Hound, and he's he can't draw the quote-unquote Disney style. style. And it's really hard. He's having problems. They, they team him up with um, uh, the real famous guy uh, uh, that we've brought up on the cast before. We brought him up on the... Um, Beetle, uh, the, the Beauty and the Beast thing, uh, Keen, I think, Glenn Keen, I think his name is. And he, he, he can't, all this stuff he ends up drawing for Fox and Han, I don't think ends up being used, or they have him sh- draw stuff that's like in the background that's not too detailed. So at that point, they're like, listen, we could tell you're, you're, you're having some issues here. Um, why don't we move you to the Black Cauldron? And he starts doing concept work for the Black Cauldron, which he likes being a concept artist. And they, they hook him up with a girl named uh, Andrea... Deja, I think her name is, D-E-J-A. And this is what we were talking about, the Burbank lot. If you go to Disney Studios, there was a building, which is one of the buildings is the animation building, and across the street from the Disney Burbank Studios is the hospital, the Burbank Hospital. And then on the other side, maybe of the freeway over there, is Forest Lawn Cemetery, the very famous cemetery where all the celebrities are buried out in L.A. So Burton used to say, like, he'd stare, he'd be sitting there out of, looking out the window, and he'd be looking at the Burbank Hospital where he was born. And then he was looking at the cemetery where maybe his grandfather was buried. And he's like, Jesus, is this all life has? I'm stuck now doing this job. And it's hard because when you sign on and do a movie, a lot of these animated movies back then especially were like five or six years. So yeah. you'd be working on this for that long. So he suddenly started to get this phobia of going into work and, and like, you know, I don't, I can, am I, is this, am I, really uh, signing off on doing this the rest of my life and doing I'm not happy, I'm kind of scared. So they move him to the Black Cauldron, and for about a year he's working on um, concept work for the Black Cauldron, and he's having a lot of fun, but then he realizes that none of this shit's going to be used, and they may be just blowing smoke up his ass or <laughs> whatever, and he's like, you know, a year of my life is gone, and they're not using any of this concept work on the Black Cauldron. So I don't know how he finagles it, and you got to say that, that I don't know if it's, if it's him being a smooth talker or Disney just really trying to accommodate him, they say, hey, look, you're still having problems. Let's try to figure <laughs> out what you want to do. And also, on a side note, we've brought up before on our Disney casks, t- casts, there is a documentary called Awaking Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, in that documentary, they have um, people, home videos of this era of Disney. And you could see Tim Burton on a lot of those home videos in there. And this is the era which we talk about in other casts, where Disney really, since Walt Disney had died, the animation department didn't really have like a, a leader in song so it was kind of aimless and into the late 80s where they were almost going to just 
break up the Disney animation department because there was more movies that yeah, were making they, money. they took away their building and started yeah. using it for other things and stuck them in some office building somewhere. Yeah, like those prefab modular offices and the Disney animated movies like Black Cauldron and all these things of the 80s, Fox and the Hound, Sword and the Stone weren't making money. Yeah. The, you know, had movies that were like Care Bears the movie or or like uh, Five of American Tale. Yeah, you had other movies that weren't Disney movies that were animated that were doing better than the Disney movies for like the first time in decades. Yeah, and this is when Tim Burton is working there. So there was a lot of anxiety and stress levels there. And then by the middle to late 80s, there's an idea of, hey, maybe we should uh, just, um, you know, just... To turn off and just cancel the Disney animation department until uh, uh, Bob uh, Michael Eisner gets in there. So Disney lets him develop a, uh, st- a st- he had a storybook idea of, of, a, of a children's story and they let him do what ends up becoming the, the stop motion animation black and white thing called Vincent which is kind of like a Dr. Seuss-ish uh, very embedded in his style a, pas- a pastiche of this little kid's love for the actor Vincent Price and his voice by Vin- Vincent Price. Yeah. And I guess that gets some buzz because Paul Rubens talks about him seeing Vincent on TV. So they maybe play it on the Disney Channel or whatever. I had never seen it probably until... Came out on DVD for me. Yeah. With uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, so I probably had... Special feature. Didn't see it until like 2000, 2001. And, you know, I was a huge Vincent Price fan, so this was like made for me. And uh, he does that. He gets Vincent Price to, to voice it over. You have see a lot of elements that end up being like in a Beetlejuice and his kind of style of like James and the Giant Peach and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. And... I guess, you know, they're like, it's a little too dark for us. We don't know. Then he ends up doing Frankenweenie, which is a short um, movie which has in it Barrett Oliver, who has been on the cast before as the kid from Amazing Stories. Mm-hmm. The never-ending story, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shelley Duvall. Duvall yeah. And then uh, Daniel Stern. And I had never stayed now since remade that and did a live action. I think it's a cartoon movie, an animated movie. Yeah, it's a stop motion movie. I yeah, think. and I have seen that yet. But this is a live action short, short where the the Baird Oliver's little kid, his dog dies, and he through you know like a mad scientist is able to bring the dog back to life. It's like a poor man's pet cemetery <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before Stephen King. You know they released the, the the Stephen King movie, and that does well. And I remember when I was little going to the library and them having that at the library and I saw that probably in the late 80s on video and liking it and that's the last time I've seen that and I remember really digging it like that's being up my alley but I don't remember making the association that it was Tim Burton yeah so then at this time they're like listen we've tried as much as we could with you uh let's just you know that he splits ways with Disney because he's just doing stuff that's too dark he had written another story he wanted to adapt the children's story that he ends up turning into 15 years later, A Nightmare Before Christmas. But this time he goes away, and around this time is when Paul Rubens and Warner Brothers is looking for a director to do this uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And Warner's was pressing him to do to, ha- to work with a certain director, which he doesn't name, which he didn't really want to work with. And then um, uh, luckily Warner's comes back and says, look, we'll give you a week if you can find somebody else that you think may work with you and then overnight they fight they see frankenweenie yeah and he's like i want this guy well tim burton yeah and then apparently tim burton comes you know comes on reads the script and finds and i don't know i don't know maybe you know through research that if he knew of the peewee character ahead of time since we're talking about how that movie only got made because no I, you're right but uh, i don't know he if said he, he read the script and he and he talked to paul rubens and he felt like they have a similar sense of humor 
he kind of understood the the comedic aspect of what Rubens was trying to do, and they kind of just hit it off. He also did before he left Disney. He did an episode, which I'd be interested in seeing, an episode of Hansel and Gretel for the Disney Channel. But it was a Japanese, yeah, some sort of Japanese cast with maybe that makes it even sound like it's like in that Japanese style. And it only aired once. And I yeah. guess if we've probably looked hard enough we might be able to find it but evidently that's of legend as well now there's a another movie that i dion and i only had a chance i only had a chance to show dion a few minutes well this is but this is interesting see how we're we're bringing all these different turns and we're coming up it's like one of these movies where at the it's like a robert altman movie you know it's like it's all gonna come together all coming together we're getting all on the same road together no because i find this movie because i i uh discovered a movie called the wizard of speed and time yes uh, last year, how in 2018? Because I was going to be interviewing uh, John Masari, who did the music for it. Sweet. Uh, John also did the music for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah, which is a movie I think we'll get to at some point. Yeah, John I, Vernon, <laughs> baby. Because <laughs> I'm the huge John um, Vernon fan, and he did the opening theme to the composer. The composer did the opening theme to a lot of the to the the Disney Sunday night. Oh, so Sunday ABC Sunday night movie that shows. we like the era that we grew up in. Which he we've did, talked at nauseum about. He did the music for the opening. Oh wow, of that and he also did the the music for the opening of Ray Bradbury Theater. And that's the, in researching your um, say the name of the title, The Wizard of Speed and Time. That that aired on Disney. I, Disney aired it at some point. Well, quick because we don't want to get too far down the. Wizard of Speed and we Time. Got, we thing. got some time. <laughs> because that's not the movie we're doing. I'm going to put the I, coffee on. It's an interesting uh, movie in relation to, to Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It started as a short. There's a director named Mike Jitlove, who is this kind of crazy mad genius of in camera special effects and stop motion. And he did a short, and I, I can't recall if he did the short and Disney saw it and picked it up, or if. Disney hired him to do a short, but he did a short that this that eventually the feature film, a w- The Wizard of Sweden Time, was based on. It was a short little thing that he did that aired as part of a segment uh, for Disney Sunday Night of the television yeah. in a in a in a, a special called Major Effects. So it was it was a section of this thing called Major Effects that celebrated movie effects as promotion. For one of Dion's favorite movies, Black Hole, the Black Hole that was coming out. Yeah. So it was part of Disney uh, promoting the Black Hole, which is about to come out in 1979. And we have a podcast on that, the Black Hole. We, we did that in, a, in, a, in October a couple years ago. Yeah. If you want to look into that, maybe 2015 or so. Um, and the, people know that Disney since the 50s have had like a Disney night. I think it's usually been Sunday. Like it was the Disney Technicolor, the Disney something. Wonderful World of Disney. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, it would be hosted by Walt Disney himself. I'm and sure. later, Michael Eisner and when we grew up. It was Michael Eisner. Once Michael Eisner took over the company, like we, we were just saying in the late 80s, put everything back on track, revamped the... the uh, animation department. We talk about this in the Flat of the Navigator in our Animated Beauty and the Beast um, podcasts. Eisner, very, I think, to his credit, did the, the the Walt Disney approach and became the front man where he would go out like Vince McMahon and he would talk to people and <laughs> like Vince McMahon. 
<laughs> like you know, and he would come out and he would you know he'd be the front man and he, he would intro the movies and talk to the people that the characters Mickey Mouse and all that kind of yeah. thing really brilliantly and that was a huge thing for us on a Sunday night growing up because it also gave them a vehicle to take the movies they're putting into the theaters or Disney. You know, produce properties and playing them on TV. Yeah. So you can get like big or you can get all the. I think we talked about Flight of the Navigator. Yeah. Flight of the Navigator was, that's how I first saw it, was on a Disney Sunday night movie. Uh, You know, Black Hole and tons of movies. There was tons of, that would be a great side cast to do. Uh, So he does, so this guy, Mike Jidlove, does this segment. Yeah. And uh, on a completely. That's a short film in 1979. On a related note, an end. John Masari does the music for the short as well, and then later does the music for the feature, just so everybody knows if you're a fan of that movie and that score, uh, Masari is currently in the process of putting that that soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, so wow. that'll be available uh, in the near future. But uh, So that airs, and then that segment ends up airing, ends up getting passed around. Okay. People, somebody taped it. And then it ends up getting passed around and being shown at like sci-fi conventions, like people screening things. I guess in the early eighties. And so that major effects, and specifically Mike Mike Jetlove's section, ends up gaining the, some kind of weird cult following. Now into the early eighties, Jetlove gets hired to do things for Disney, like create a, a film for the opening of Epcot, yeah, and stuff like that. And but apparently. Jet Love has a huge problem working with Disney. He just, it, like, they do not mesh. You know, he f- sees them as a very, like, suppressing or oppressive force on his artistic, uh, you know, vision. And I asked Masari about it. Uh, when did you interview Masari? I don't know when I interviewed him, but it was the last episodes of 2018. So the episode of, your, of Score to Death, the so podcast. podcast, if you want to listen to the interview with Masari, it's in the December. It's the most recent episodes of Score to Death, the podcast. He says, look, I was in some of those meetings. You know how Mike Jetlove perceived those meetings. You know, other people might not have perceived them that way. <laughs> you know, he was trying to be diplomatic. Uh but so then Jetlove ends, ends up making this film, turning The Wizard of Speed and Time into a feature-length movie that's basically about, from his perspective, working with Disney, yeah. which is making a special effects film on the cheap for a major movie studio. And this is 83. He stu- They make it, they start it, and I think even for the most part complete it in 1983. That's the feature-length version of the even, 1979 short. Even though it doesn't really see the light of day until like 88, 89. Yeah. And the reason why I bring the, the movie up is because if you watch it today, it is one... I think feels very much like something from our childhood, which it was. To me, when I watched, it was very much like Greatest American Hero. Greatest American Hero, I feel like there's parts of it. Special effects are very good. There's parts of it that feel very... uh, And what's a a one-sentence logline of it? It's like a guy who's kind of like a Flash. Well, no, he's like... uh, He's a a special effects artist who's hired by a major uh, studio to make a film, and then it's him trying to make the film in a union town, you know, around like Hollywood greed. And the, and the, the movie is... And, like, and the movie that he's making involves this wizard of speed and time, which he plays in the movie as well. Yeah. Um, and he's got like a green jacket. Doesn't he have like an outfit? In the the wizard movie? has 
you know, a green cloak. Yeah. You know, but the the, mo- the feature length movie is about him trying to make the Wizard of Speed. Into yeah. <laughs> kind of. That sounds like well, another movie, like them, them trying to make it's a movie. Them trying to make the movie. Yeah. It's, uh, it makes me. It's tough. and and it feels a lot like I don't know something that maybe we would have seen on Nickelodeon or cable back in the early eighties. Yeah. It has a very specific like early eighties feel, and but he plays his character who he's playing himself. Yeah. Is like is a very like innocent kind of guy, and very much doesn't talk like Pee Wee Herman or anything, but has a certain innocence to him the way Pee Wee Herman does. His house is full of like Rube Goldberg, or yeah, yeah, like stuff. those gadgets that make things happen, just like the beginning of Pee Wee Herman. His thing is he ri- he rides this souped up bicycle all over L.A. Uh, so it's souped up even in a way that I think somebody tries to steal it and he flicks on a switch and it like electrocutes somebody, the people that are trying to steal Jesus. it. <laughs> like, you know, it's got all these kind of elements. That doesn't are- he also wear, when I saw the clips, I thought he had like, he had like glasses, but he had a, one outfit through the entire movie. Probably. Yeah. So yeah. that you could distinguish it's him. Like he had like a, like a sports, a green sports coat or something that stayed with him. And he ends up a semi, uh, romantic relationship with an actress that he meets but he's also very innocent kind of in the way that Pee Wee Herman is uh, so when you watch it now it does feel like this weird precursor to Pee Wee Herman yeah and I don't necessarily I'm not uh, I'm not accusing you know Paul Rubens or anybody uh, or Tim Burton of you know stealing or anything I just think it's very interesting that Two movies are made around the same period. This one, actually, a couple years beforehand, that have this a very similar sensibility, probably playing on a lot of the same uh, inspirations, influences, and that Tim Burton and Mike Jidlev were both working for Disney at the same time. <laughs> and that's that must be tough for him to go make his movie, and then this other movie comes out and does. Yeah, and I wonder. I don't know. There's not a whole lot about it. It never came out. On, has still not come out on DVD. You can see it in its entirety on on YouTube. I think there were VHS releases of uh, Wizard of Sweden Time and a Laserdisc release of it. But uh, it's just it's a very interesting movie to see, and I and I wonder. I kind of theorize that maybe it took Pee Wee Herman the success of Pee Wee Herman for it to get a release in 1988. Yeah, because like I said, he made it in '83 comes out in like 88 89 so maybe it took big peewee's big adventure and peewee's playhouse so, hey, we for someone to say like shelves. hey we have this other wacky movie that's kind of very similar in a lot of ways um but i don't believe that mike jitlove at disney was an animator the drawn animator the way tim burton was i think he was working with more stop motion and in-camera effects when he worked for disney to produce things well, it's on YouTube, and it's a great copy, so we'll put a link to it. It is. Uh, so an, if you want to give it a watch. It's, a, it's one of give those. Give it a watch. Give it, it a watch. It is one of those movies that, you know, come up a lot, uh, a type of movie that come up a lot on the show where I'll say something like, like when we watched, when we did the Roger Corman failed, never released version of Fantastic Four, and I said, you know, like I didn't grow up with it, or even the, the, the 1990, uh, Captain America, which is like, these were not films that I grew up with, but when I watch them, I feel a great deal of nostalgia because they're so of the era, which was when we were kids. Of course. And so this movie is one of those movies that when you watch it, you can't help but feel some kind of nostalgia for like the 
early to mid eighties because it's so much of that era. But it is it's wacky. And it's stop, well done. For, the stop for... motion effects are amazing. I mean, he was a Jet Love is a, is a kind of a, is a genius when it comes to this kind of thing. So much so maybe we should do the movie and get him on to talk about it. So much so that I th- you know I think uh, if I recall correctly, Masari did something that was related with. Uh, uh, what's the big stop motion guy from the Ray Harryhausen? Ray Harryhausen and Ray Harryhausen knew of Mike Jetlove and like the stop motion stuff that he had done because he was kind of a, he is kind of a genius at that. Yeah, and just was a, a kind of an art an artist that can't work within the confines of the studio system, which is a lot you hear from. It's, it's almost. Uh, endemic of not just Disney but a yeah. lot you hear just of the studio system so the back time. in the day at the early aspects of the podcast we would do recommendations as a cool double feature yeah I would say that this would be if you get a chance and you want to do like a cool double feature of watching uh, big uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure check out uh, The Wizard of Speed and Time because it's a very it's very interesting to juxtapose those two movies in my opinion especially if you're in the um, and I think it's a very cool movie that doesn't Ever, I've never heard anybody talk about it. Yeah, so it needs a little bit of love. <laughs> I, certainly, certainly, we'll try to get, get it. That's enough. That's all for tonight, folks. Anyway, yeah, move back to our. Back no, that's now. interesting because they're back they're, to the show. Back to, uh, that that they're both both uh, within the same world of the. They're so similar in some time, and then there's kind of the similarities. I thought you were going to tell me because I haven't seen the movie all the way through that it was. Uh, him trying to make Pee Wee's Big Adventures, or like you know, like the movie they're making is a kids' movie. Or, no, he's trying know. to do a, and there's crazy things with he does this giant animation where that's a musical number with film cans and lights, uh-huh. and they move around and they stack up, and it's really like well, he does a lot of animation at like and, and mind blowing. Uh, yeah, because he did some stop motion animation in it of him just moving around that I was looking at the stuff where yeah. it's just like you know the it's and. It's like he slowed down in the sped up shot, so the cars are whizzing by. But he's like a little slower. Yeah, doing part something. of this big segment where like he's running across the country. Too. Yeah, it's very or he far he's out. like you know moving. You don't you know he his body is moving, but you don't see him walking. It's yeah. that kind of effect. But then he's like then he starts to rise, like he's floating, and yeah, it's like yeah. it's all kinds of stuff. It's, like how the hell is he? And then even that stuff where you're saying where he's running around as that character across the country. And you see the blurs behind him. It doesn't look hokey like an early eighties. Yeah, it looks like he's actually. It doesn't look like he's running in front of like a, you know, like a, a th- rear screen projection. <laughs> yeah, it looks like they somehow did it like a it little d- more really seamlessly. Is, it's it's kind of amazing. It is it is something to behold in terms of the, the thing that we talk about often yeah. on this film, which is like the the magic of movies, and that was, you know, he did that short as a display of like the magic of special effects in promotion for a. Disney's prime, maybe at that point their biggest special effects spectacle, which was Black Hole. Yeah, so totally worth checking out. Uh, very interesting to think about in the terms of Pee Wee's Big Adventure, how they were kind of contemporaries, and how both Jet Love and Burton were kind of ex people that were just not couldn't work with Disney. <laughs> that Disney, yeah, to, to do what they were Disney at Disney now. at the same time in two different, totally different departments. Yeah, but unable to work within the Disney structure. Um. Yeah, and uh, they end up acquiring then Tim Burton, and and one of the things they also do when they're making the script is is there a conscious decision to try to make it loosely almost like on the Bicycle Thief, 
Yeah. You know, because you have elements. I mean, I don't know how, how much they're looking I at that. I haven't seen that since we were in school. Same with me, but they say that there's kind of like similar plot points where the, someone's bike gets stolen and then he goes to the law, the law won't help him. And, you know, if, yeah, I don't I remember. think there's only so many st- yeah, yeah. <laughs> of stories of what you could do with a bike. <laughs> with a bike getting stolen. Uh, so they bring Tim Burton in, and, and I guess, uh, t- you know, it's, it's Burton's first movie, and then also Burton says it's like, you know, uh, he surprisingly what is what weren't as wasn't as nervous as he would end up being like on a second or third because yeah. you kind of just are so not naive but you just the world is your oyster and then he brings another thing for me for Tim Burton movies as a kid is their connection with Danny Elfman's music so this movie particularly and Batman are probably my favorite Danny Elfman soundtrack sure and this soundtrack for for. Uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, the theme is like in my head 24 hours. <laughs> I'm like doing like da 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 da. I mean, that's my shit. It's funny growing up, uh, I grew up watching as well in the late 80s the animated um, Lady and the Tramp. And there is, uh, at the beginning of Lady and the Tramp, the music in that, is, when they're establishing who she is, or whatever, uh, there's this sequence of music, and I don't remember what the cue is called, but the music is. Uh, And later on, I knew that movie back to forward. And then I'm watching uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And when he's around the mall, it's the same. I mean, almost identical. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not in any way saying that Danny Elfman's taking stuff. But literally, it's the same cue. Mm -hmm. So for years, I used to subconsciously whistle the. And I didn't know where the hell it was from. (laughs) And then I realized it's from. Uh. Lady in the Tram, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's from that obscure, I'm whistling, whistling that. Then when you and I just watched this, I hadn't seen this in 20 years, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, I hear that and I'm like, oh my God, I can't, it's, it's in this too. Yeah. So I don't know if anyone's ever made that correlation to those two musical cues that it's, you know, because there's a lot of Elfman, we can get into um, about Elfman and how he got to this point, but seeing this movie now, his soundtrack does, to me, I guess successfully, homage Hitchcock. And a lot of the other stuff, you know, because certainly there is references to like Psycho in it or, you know, the strings, the beautiful Bernard Herrmann strings, you know. So I guess that was a around this time, either shortly, I guess shortly after Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, Tim Burton does an episode of Shelley Duvall's Fairytale Theater. He directs an episode, but he also directs an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So they must have done a rehash of. 80s versions of Alfred Hitchcock Presents? Yeah, there was an 80s uh, show, and I remember. Some of them were remakes of original episodes, like, yeah. like the Peter Lorre, Steve McQueen one. I remember yeah. watching that. Wow. I can't remember who was in it. Who played who? But I remember, I have images of the episode, and I remember watching it at my grandmother's house. But yeah, there was an 80s version of Hitchcock's Presents. So he directed one of those episodes, so I guess if his head is in Hitchcock around this time, you can maybe get the... And Danny Elfman had a big affinity, as he says, as an influence for of um, you know Hitchcock and uh, uh, Franz Waxman of the era that you can kind of see it works perfectly. Yeah. So this is the reason why I think a lot of my early childhood of like I'm loving the unique look of the conceptual like as a concept the, you know uh, set design and stuff and, and uh, it's just the concept art of Tim Burton in these early years going into like you know. Edward Scissorhands and a little beyond is just mind blowing yeah. to me, especially for Batman and Batman Returns. And then having this Danny, I can't think of P. 
Pee-wee's Big Adventure without another soundtrack. Or yeah, yeah. certainly, maybe, yeah, Beetlejuice has a beautiful score, opening theme and stuff. But certainly Batman and Batman Returns, without that music, we would see that, that would go on into the animated series with Shirley Walker and stuff. Yeah. Like, I, I can't divorce the two. Sure. You know, so. I was very lucky to see, and we, it's been brought up in the past, maybe when we did Batman, I don't know if I'd seen it by then, but I was very lucky to see, you know, uh, Danny Elfman had a had a concert going on that was celebrating the music of that he did with Tim Burton, and I guess they did it. They did it in L.A. I think they did it in London, and then they did it here at Lincoln Center. It was expensive too, wasn't it? Yeah, and I got it was, but it was amazing. It was, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, it was all the music from you know all the main themes from all the movies he's done with Tim Burton uh, at the end, like the last twenty minutes to a half hour. And it's so him there. He comes out. He comes out. Yeah. Danny Elfman comes out and sings all the the big Jack Skelton Skellington stuff. Yeah. Uh, from in, in Nightmare uh, Nightmare Elm Street. Th- Nightmare Elm Street. That would be something too. Because I think he he in the movie he came sings out like Dream Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> so awesome. Really. I think when they did it in L.A., like Rubens came out and sang because they had people come out and sing. Shit, other parts, yeah, you know, behind them, um, but not that Rubens wasn't there here. But it was kind of amazing to see the, the the Batman stuff, and it's all up during some clips from the movies, but a lot of conceptual art. So you're you're in a projected. theater, and you have the live orchestra, uh, symphony orchestra, and then behind it up on the wall, there's a, a screen, screen yeah. and there's some clips from movies, but it's mostly or like Tim Burton conceptual art everything but it was kind of amazing to see a full orchestra play that pv yeah. theme because <laughs> i remember when we talked about you're like i you know you realize how many pv hurt or tim burton movies you didn't like yeah and yeah. i was like um i was thinking like that must have been so amazing to see the whole you know i mean you know and then you think about he's also done of course the simpsons theme yeah i really am into he did the hughes brothers dead presidents movie did the theme for that and he did uh midnight run midnight run which is one of my favorite movies uh and i think he yeah he's done almost Aside from like three, I think he did uh, almost all Tim Burton's movies. Yeah, and he has a a story where he was in the group Oingo Boingo, and then you see he does he do the soundtrack to Back to School, or did the, just the band appears? They might have just done a song. I don't know if they did the full score for it because when they release on vinyl uh, uh, in 1985, um, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, they also release as well. Uh, cuts from Back to School, and in the movie, there's a scene where they go to a house party. Um, Ronnie Dangerfield brings what's his face from Christine. Oh, this plays a son in that movie. Yeah, uh, Keith Gordon. Yeah, he brings them to like a house party that maybe even uh, Ronnie Dangerfield's hosting, and there's a live band in the background. I forget what song they're singing, but it's Oingo Boingo, and it's Danny Elfman's as I think what he's the singer in that, isn't he? Yeah, and that's 1986. That's that music comes out. by Danny Elfman. So I guess he did the score. I mean, the first score he did was a movie called Forbidden Zone, which yeah. I think was like directed or written or produced by his brother. Yeah, something like that. And it's effect. right around this but, time. But I think this. I think Pee's Big Adventure is. I think he he might have done it before Back to School, or at least yeah. before Back to School comes out, because they basically it's such a weird. You think of. Think of it in terms of you got this guy who's never written or started in a movie before, making a movie about a character that he created for improv for an improv group. You have a director that's never directed a feature before, and you have 
a, a composer who's from an like an '80s pop band, who's o- who's really only film credit is this like obscure movie, and, they, and he's never really written with a with an a, orchestra. An orchestra. Before. This is the first movie, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, that he actually writes. I'm with dying his... to interview Danny Elfman because I would love. I just I would love to know about all that transition from Oingo Boingo into making film music and what it was like. Like, what kind of education does he have to be able to write for an orchestra? He says he has no formal training, but he he had orchestration assistance with his uh, Oingo Boingo guitarist and arranger, Steve uh, Bark, Barktok. Barktok. Yeah, Bartek, maybe? Bartek, and he helped him write. The, the I stuff. mean, mo- a lot of composers, especially the ones that come from more of a rock background that then work with an orchestra, they need to work with orchestrators and arrangers yeah. and stuff. I mean, that's not uncommon. Um, sometimes they do it. Sometimes a composer who even is, you know, uh, educated in that way will do it just because they don't have the time. Yeah. They need to kind of dull out aspects of the work. They've it's written like with Shirley Walker. They've written the music, yeah. but they need someone to then break it up into the different instruments that will then make up the orchestra. Yeah, to transcribe or whatever. And then also, Elfman goes on to do movies you like, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. He does the first two Spider-Man movies. Yeah. My buddy Chris Young does the third one. Uh, Elfman's got a very interesting... Filmography, and it's weird because you can always, for me, I can almost tell it's an or it's an Elfman soundtrack. He does have a certain you know, sound, and certainly the movies he does with Tales from the Crypt have a have a very definite, distinct Danny Elfman sound. And I hear that that sound, I hear that sound in other scores now. Yeah, like that Elfman sound has now with a choir and all that stuff has now transcended. You know, people are like give me something that's kind of Danny. Yeah. Elfman. It's like giving like a Bernard Herman, give me a Danny Elfman. You know, and it's just weird how you think he's the sim- the theme of the Simpsons, the theme of Tales from the Crypt when we were little. Uh, he ended up doing a simple plan with Sam Raimi. He ends up marrying Bridget Fonda on that movie, hmm. and I don't know if they were if they're still together, but they they. They, he scored that in 98, which you and I saw in the theater together. We started naming all these movies on the th- <laughs> We saw that with Aaron, the three of us. Uh, and then as a teenager, he even dated Kim Gordon, who later became one of the members of Sonic Youth, the, the very cult, uh, you know, classic rock band. Yeah. Um, so he has he, a very he wide... He did the Grinch. Yeah. The new Grinch movie. The one that just came out, not yeah. the uh, Ron Howard one. Yeah, he from did the new one. Ago. So he comes... So Burton must know him. And Burton's like, hey, you know, you have no experience just like I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's really, let's really paint ourselves into our corner here. And, and so you have Phil Hartman, Paul Rubens, and then Michael uh, Varhol, Varhol uh, who's from um, those three are from the growl, growl, Groundlings. And then you have um, Tim Burton come in, and then they do another version of the script after they come up with something, and uh, they end up. You know, going out and setting up pop this movie, there's an idea in the movie that you know, like you you alluded to at the head of the cast, where there, uh, Pee Wee Herman lives alone. Uh, yeah. We never really know how he sustains himself. There is theories that maybe he has these Rube Goldberg. Rube Goldberg is a term for like this guy, I guess, who used to make these complicated machines that would do simple tasks. So in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, he's got this elaborate uh, mechanism, device, thing, contraption all over the house that just makes his pancakes. And I find it very interesting that this was such a big thing in the 80s. Oh, huge. The mid-80s. Because, you know, one, 
Wizard of Speed and Time, like I said, there's a bit of the aspect of that going on in that. Of oh, course, him the, in, the, in his house. Yeah. Said, yeah. And of course, this, PB's Herman. But it's also, you know, it's at the beginning of Back to the Future, which we did last summer. You know, that's when Doc he, Brown's, <laughs> right? Doc Brown's big to feed the yeah. dog and make the coffee and everything. And, when, I, when I moved to the suburbs uh, in Hamden, Connecticut, they had the Hamden Plaza, which was like, you know, I don't know, like they say like one of the first. Um, sh- uh, sh- uh, strip malls in America, which who knows if that's true. But they had all these art installations in the plaza that were now starting to like you know get old because they'd been there, and this is the '80s. But in one of these installations, they had this huge. This would be the allure of taking your kids shopping because you could show your kids this stuff while you're walking around. And they had this elaborate machine that just had a. It was like a like a ball pin, yeah, yeah. steel ball that you'd see like a ball bearing, and it would. Do, do this elaborate thing just to do something. It would just push a flag over. <laughs> yeah. But you can, I, I, I don't think you had to pay for it. Maybe you hit like a button and then it would start up top and 30 or 40 seconds for it to do this, that, you know, yeah, come down yeah. and all would do, you know. So you're right. This must have been something that. It got popular. Yeah. Rube Goldberg was, was, you know. He was so, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is probably, he probably died before his name even got out there. So I will I'm say speculation. as a bit of trivia, there's, because of my, Adventures in California. We talked about the studios. Uh, I, there are many aspects of my trips to California that are Pee-wee's Pee- Big Adventure related. So as unintentionally, we, right? As, yeah, unintentionally. So as we go through, the, I'll, gonna, po- gonna, I'll point out things. Yeah, which is Pee-wee's house. The exterior of Pee-wee's house is like a block away from Haddonfield, Illinois. <laughs> Scary. And the same neighborhood that Christine is in. <laughs> Which is the same ha- ha- and neighborhood. And Back to the Future, right? And uh, a lot of the Back to the Future stuff. But it's literally like a block away. You turn the corner. You go, you know, you walk out of Pee-wee's house. You take a left. And then you walk down to the end of the block. And then you take another left. And you walk over a block or two. And it's the intersection at the beginning of John Carpenter's Halloween where we come up and it says like Halloween 1978. Like, it's that intersection. It's like a block away. And then right down the street is the shrubs where Michael Myers is standing at the, oh, end yeah, of the okay. shrubs and where Linda and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the friends live on that block. You know, not, not where the babysitting happens, but a lot of that section of the movie. It's literally right around the corner. Because I guess it's a convenient location. Yeah, I guess it's South Pasadena. So if you're ever going to look at the Halloween locations... You know, see if you can find find that old online old lady where where the where the Pee Wee's house is because it's literally like two minute a minute walk away. And then the 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 Back to the Future stuff is quite of a bit a bit away. Some yeah. walk, maybe like a 10, 15 minute if walk. You're there, but you know, I did it. <laughs> yeah. I was I spent three hours zigzagging because I wasn't even I didn't know everything was in one spot. You know, so I'm like, I go from here A to over to like Z. And then back to B, and <laughs> over to Y. That's the, that's the <laughs> like that's, I'm zigzagging on foot across South. That Texas sounds like the first time you and I got into the city. We remember <laughs> we were trying to walk to uh, get Kodak film, and we didn't know where to go, so we would just walk around the city until we found it. So we'd come out the wrong way, go down. <laughs> we'd, well, we'd, we'd make an extra hour or two, but I don't know how miraculously we, me, you would, me, you and I would find it. What but, we were looking uh, for. So the house is there. Yeah, it looks exactly the same, except for it's not red. Yeah. Um, and obviously, all the stuff's not in the yard. But yeah. uh, that was all it's stuff there. That they added. Maybe, maybe I have to look. Maybe I have pictures. Sweet. If you have any pictures the, of we'll, all this, all these things, we can uh, put them up in the. Um, because later on, the pet sh- a lot of the stuff in the movie is also on the Warner Brothers lot. Mm-hmm. So when you walk, up oh, the, yeah. when you walk around the back lot, like the pet shop, I believe, I've seen that. I think that's 
on the Warner Brothers lot when he's has the, there's the fire in the pet shop and he's got to run all these animals out. Yeah, like that's on the that's I think that's on the lot. Paul Rubens talks about that in the director's commentary that you know since they shot that on a lot now every time you see that in a movie he's like oh that's the pet shop it's yeah, like right yeah. around the corner so they they never really explain how um, he makes his money but there's a theory that maybe he makes these contraptions and he sells them. I don't think it really matters it does so as a viewer for me anyway it yeah. never once occurred to me that is he a kid or is he an adult that acts like a kid it was like oh, see, I thought you were the person who brought that in the world of yeah, of, of movie TV logic. Land. Yeah, I was like, yeah, it, it's, that's just him. the way it is there. But he wakes up in his bedroom, and to me, it's a, a, a immediately a throwback to a favorite of mine from my early days, the toy, where the toy uh, with the kid from its Christmas story, the redhead kid, he has a room that has everything, you know. So when you wake up, Pee-wee's in this whole world. And it's very, another avenue we talk about all the time is 50s nostalgia in the 80s. And, you know, Tim Burton, that's a big theme in Tim Burton's movies, where he, it's his nostalgia for... Particularly, I think, like the suburbanization of post-war 50s, 60s, that Art Deco uh, that you see a lot in like movies like um, Edward Scissorhands. But uh, Pee Wee Herman's kind of, uh, I guess they they, maybe Paul Rubens as well has that kind of romanticism. So you see Pee Wee's house has a lot of the 50s toys and, you know, and that thing. And he has all this crazy stuff. He has Speck the dog. Uh, I love that, you know, he starts his morning, he gets up, he goes down a fire pole, he's dressed, and he starts his Rube Goldberg machine just to make him breakfast, and he st- then that's when you hear the music, the, the, the you know, dan, 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 all, it's, it's complete zaniness going on, and it's funny, because I was thinking this when we were watching it, and then when you go listen to the director's commentary, either Tim Burton or Paul Rubens, who were on the, so- uh, the commentary, point out, like, can you imagine what the... Warner Brothers were, were thinking in the first five minutes of this movie. <laughs> we've already established all these factors where these are first time, and the first six minutes or seven minutes of that movie till he walks it out of the house. It does take a while to get it's going. Like what the, it's like establishing the world, but it's crazy. Like, what yeah. the fuck are we watching here? But I love, you know, there's aspects as a kid, like him going into his bathroom, and you see the... Um, the, the, the fish floating by in the window, you don't realize. And then him playing with the scotch tape. I would then play with scotch tape, and I was doing almost a Lon Chaney with sure. your, lo- your nose. And, and then I love the, the thing where he gets on the scale, and it says, don't leave the house today. Very, you know, f- foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. And then when he sits down, he gets this pancakes and stuff with Abe Lincoln flipping the pancakes. The Mr. T sca- cereal. And Which I, is like the only thing that really dates this movie yeah. as the 80s. But it's weird because in the in the trivia for this, they actually say Mr. T was, it was a real cereal. It's like, you, I guess people it, don't remember. It was. It, it was. Yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it was something I wasn't allowed to get, <laughs> you know, because it, it was we pure sugar. We weren't allowed to have. Because it was probably one of these things, you It know, looks like the, it's probably, when they pours it, it looks like it's probably exactly the same cereal as that Batman cereal. That we ate. That we, ate that. We, should, well, we should have, <laughs> see if we thought about this epic podcast. We could have found a Oh, yeah. box <laughs> even older. We're going back. We're going back to nineteen. It looks like it's like the exact same, just a different shape. It's yeah. T's instead of a bat. And it looks like it's when Mr. T had Mr. T and his his mm-hmm. Olympic team going around because it's the animated yeah. Mr. T. So they just took a frame graph from the animated show. So I remember always loving that because it's like, oh, I never tried Mr. T cereal. Yeah, this yeah. would have been a perfect time for us to but try. But now I watch thirty five year old cereal. And now it's like I watch it. And I was like, because now I'm always thinking of things that will like date a movie. Yeah, you know, like because you know. You know, knock on wood. One of these days, Dion and I will make a movie, and it's always like, well, let's. What should we put in it? Like, what kinds of things are really going to date this movie in the long run? Because it's really the only thing that's like pure eighties. 
Yeah, is for that. the most part. <laughs> well, there's another aspect for me later on is when he goes to the bike shop, and I used to think how cool those BMX guys. Oh those. yeah, the BMX. Those guys. dudes are like that was like the epitome. Of like you know, I don't even want to talk to them because they're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's like so you know, you have him. You set up his world. He's got you know this thing, and then. Uh, I think that's about it. He goes to leave his house. He says hello to the neighbor. He's got that whack. You said he's got all this shit on his front lawn, which Paul Rubens and, and Tim Burton both say they kind of had themselves and yeah, they kind of yeah. populated because they couldn't, they were such a low budget, they couldn't get anything. They had to just do a lot of this themselves. And then you go, you reveal his bike. He's got his bike hidden away. And, and it, I think it's, I didn't look at the name, what kind of a bike it is. I should have, but it's a sweet ass bike. Yeah. Which, by awesome. the way, if you ever are in Hollywood mm-hmm. and you go to the Hollywood Museum, which is, uh, you know, not, I don't think it's on Hollywood Boulevard, but it's very close. Um, it's very close to, yeah, because you can almost see where, like, Jimmy Kimmel has their outdoor uh, performances on his show, like, from, the, it's right next to a Mel's Diner, and then there's a Hollywood Museum, which used to be... Uh, Mel's Diner, like, from Happy Days? Well, that's Al's diner, but yeah, like, but no. there's like there's a chain of diners there that are eighty like fifties nostalgia. Yeah, called Mel's Diner. I love it. And there's a building that used to be like a makeup company, like a Maxell or some some kind of like Chanel famous or something. Yeah, yeah. And so there there's a and in there is the Hollywood Museum, but there's also like a a section that's devoted to the history of that makeup company, uh, and in there's many things. Many cool things. Some things not as cool as, you know, you'd think should be. Just like pictures of autographs and stuff, which are, you know, kind of see those anywhere. But A little anticlimactic. One, but there are a handful of really awesome, not a handful. There's more than a handful of really awesome things there. And one of them is one of the bikes. It's awesome. And I might have a picture of that, too. Well, well we're going to include that in the I'll cast, too. i have to go too. through my photo album. You know, we, we, so, we, but you can go see one of the bikes in person. And we always talk about that if you know people don't really... You should check our website out, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, because each podcast posting we put, uh, we do a nice little post, and we always put extras. And this this one's going to be chock full of extras of if that. If I can find the pictures. <laughs> we're going to have the link to the to the mountain climbing movie High Ice, if you want to go check out some, oh, yeah. some, some TV. Wizard of Speed and Time. Wizard of Speed and Time. Or maybe even a link to Blake's podcast with from Score to Death with the composer. Yeah, so we're going to have... This is going to be an action-packed Pee-Wee. <laughs> this is another thing, too. So we'll me, right along. Yeah, me and my friend Martin used to love this movie so much. You know, this is something I would quote all the time. When I met Martin, my friend, on, in second grade on the... Uh, and it's always funny. I feel like we've talked about this, but every time you meet somebody from I've heard that becomes your best friend, and with you being the exception... At that age, it's through like a fight or something. Yeah. And I, had, it was my first day in a new school. I was going to like f- from from one school to another Catholic school. I didn't know anybody. I'm looking around and I look behind me. Martin's at the back of the thing. And he makes a face at me, and I was like, "What?" So I put my arm up like I was going to tell on him. And he looks back. He's like, "Please, please, 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 please." So I put my arm down. He's like, "Oh." Whew. And then we go out to the to the schoolyard later on and during recess. And he's like, "Yo, you're pretty cool. You didn't tell on me." That's how the friendship began. Yeah. So our fights came later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he when we started fighting and all that kind of thing. So he, uh, we used to say this shit to us all the time on the uh, on the uh, you know. Uh, I know you are, but what am I? Like this was pure yeah. second grade. I know you are. You know, I don't. I like his. We used to have. I don't m- make monkeys. I just trait. When I was little, I thought it was. I don't, I don't make monkeys. I just trade them, but now it's train them. Yeah. I heard in this viewing. I always thought it for all my life. I thought it was, I don't 
I don't want to, I don't make monkeys. I just trade them. And then, so my comeback I made up was, who do you trade them to? Your mom. Yeah. And then that doesn't work now because I realized that you just train them. <laughs> but all these different. I'm listening to reason. Yeah, and yeah. All, you know, it's so funny. I forgot to laugh or uh, action pack peewee or I'm trying to use the. F- There's so many uh, one-liners in this movie. Like I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a rebel, Dottie. You know all that. All, yeah, you know, yeah. all, all paging Mr. Herman. Like it's like all this stuff that was just it in was, my vernacular. It, it is. It was look. There's no doubt about it. It was a huge movie for kids of our generation. I mean, it just was. I mean, like you said, you know, you used to do a Pee Wee Herman impression. We all fucking did a Pee Wee yeah. Herman impression. I think the next generation, and was still still part of our generation, but the next generation of kids to do impressions were probably like Jim Carrey. Oh, like the mask pet detective and stuff. Oh, yeah, stuff. The, yeah. impressions. You know? And that's another that Ace Ventura you know, that, for a form of this kind of character. Like yeah, movie, you know, yeah, you know, like sure. A, like a guy doing. We should come up with alternate egos that are. Uh, <laughs> that's perfect. The perfect vehicle but, for us. Yes, Pee Wee was huge. There was toys. There was dolls. People forget that up until a point when Pee Wee's Playhouse. We can get into that near the end of the thing. But they had merchandise of Pee Wee. A lot like, of merchandise. Toys and, Halloween know, costumes. Yeah, was the lunch boxes and stuff. It was a big fucking deal. So then that becomes like he gets his bike out and he's going to, uh, you know, he goes to the shop and he goes to the magic shop. Magic shop's a big deal. Very, very seedy, you, you but, know. Yeah, but that's where you would get like your gag gifts. I know, it's, but it's, I feel like that's another forgotten era, you know, uh, of of just doing stuff back then. Of people don't who goes to ma- where, where are their magic shops? There was know? where I used to live, uh, up further uptown in Manhattan, where I live now. Uh, there, there was a school, and then there was this little tiny building in the back of the schoolyard. Now they've redone the schoolyard; and it's beautiful. But when I was living there, and which was only like five years ago, <laughs> it was just like pavement. Yeah, you know, there was nothing there. Maybe a basketball hoop with the with the with no net. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was old school urban crappy schoolyard now it's like beautiful they've done all kinds of things going on over there but there was this little building attached to the schoolyard and when i lived there it was a like a cd store like compact disc not cd but cd oh i thought you were like cd s-e-e-d-y i was like ooh, like the magic shop it was a c a compact disc music store for uh spanish language music okay and it's just this tiny little building now it's a paint shop like you go there to buy paint okay you know buy for your models <laughs> maybe but uh but you know it's like a certain brand of paint oh okay. like a familiar like brand a sherman of paint. Or yeah, something, yeah something yeah. like that and you go there and you buy your paint and there was it was something else be- between theirs those two but i always thought like if i had the money and i wanted to become like a shop owner i would open like a candy store slash Magic shop, like like get like weird gags. Okay, because it's the back of a that of, of an elementary school. <laughs> yeah, that, oh, <laughs> you know, it seems like, and, I, and I'm a, I'm a sex offender. So <laughs> it would seem like that would be a perfect way to make some money is have like candy and you know fake poop. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like you make whoopee cushions and stuff. Well, it's so funny going through that. I've only been through a, hand, a handful of magic shops. I went to one, and when I was in Boston, we found a magic shop that I found like a the fake. Remember the fake arm and leg I used to have? Yeah, that was. I probably have been to that magic yeah, shop. Yeah, it's. I forget where it is because it was, but it was like, you know, I had. I would drop you drop so much money when you go into a magic shop and you get yeah. like um, the fake cigarettes. I had the gun that you hit. It would it would you know the bang would come out. Yeah, the flag. All, yeah, all kinds of stuff. You know, so seeing this, it's like a, again a forgotten era of him of him going into this magic shop. Then he goes over to the bike shop. He's getting his bike. He's getting more 
uh, stuff customed on his bike. And um, what's your name who here who plays the uh, the woman in it, Dottie? Yeah, uh, Elizabeth she, Daly. She is of legend, and I didn't realize till actually listening to this voice cast. Actress. Yeah, she's uh, Tommy Pickles from Rugrats. She's in the Powderpuff Girls. She is a huge, very well re- established. And if you listen to her voice, she sounds like a five year old boy in it when she's talking yeah, to yeah. Pee Wee. And she was also in a lot of movies at that period. Like yeah. I think she's in Valley Girl. If yeah, I'm not mistaken. But yeah, she went on to be to voice a lot of animated stuff that. Uh, is very famous. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people. Ed Hurley, who cameos as Herbin's, uh, Francis's father, uh, Cassandra Peterson, who's Elvira. She's well, even in this. Francis is from Teen Wolf. He yeah, plays Chubbs. Or whatever. <laughs> didn't he recently? Is he in the uh, the John Wayne Gacy movie? I think he may play John Wayne Gacy. He might in the in the newer one, not the one with uh, yeah. What's his face from um, First Blood? That's a really good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> Brian Dennehy. Brian Dennehy, thank you. He played a very good late 80s TV movie, yeah. John Gacy. So what ends up happening is you have the conflict where, what, Francis wants the bike. He and wants the bike. And he also He's comes rich, across. rich kid, wants to buy the bike. Bike's not for sale. But he also comes across as the, as the big kid. You yeah. Know? And they have well, that he big, plays in the big yeah. tub, the tub. And that was another thing when I was little, seeing that tub. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And him playing Godzilla in the tub. Even was, right now. I, when I, we watch it course. tonight. Yeah, I was yeah, like, like, oh, boy, I want to Yeah, I would be in bathing suits in that tub playing <laughs> with the <laughs> aircraft <laughs> carrier right now. Get the Joes on the, on the USS flag and be fucking awesome. And then um, what's his name who opens the door? The uh, gen- Professor... What's his name? Do you have him written down? Oh, uh, the guy from the James Bond movies? Yeah, he's from, uh, he's at the time, he's in freaking Dead Heat. He's in James Bond. He's in Running Man. He's in run, He's Sub-Zero or Zero in, yeah. in Running Man. He's in Black Rain. He's Professor Takan- Takanari, I think. He's a professional wrestler. And, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He big, big, and no one knows why he's, he's a professor ahead of his name, but he was Professor something. And again, seeing that movie when I was little, probably because of... Maybe the Bond movies or whatever. I knew him when he opened the door. I was like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. You know, and when I was really little, I used to think that was Odd Job, but it's two different people. But like when you're that little, you're like, oh, it's the guy who played Odd Job, you know, because he looks like you can have him in a suit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like he's stocky looking like, you know, oh, oh. So eventually, Pee Wee Herman's bike gets stolen. Another thing that I used to see, which they bring up in the director's commentary, but I knew because I had the VHS copy, is when he, when he goes to the strip mall and he's, you got the dent, the dent, the dent, and he's locking his bike up. You could see they shot it. You, that you see the chain coming out from the pocket side oh, pocket. Yeah, yeah. You could see the chain going in, and they since corrected that on the on the DVD widescreen copy. They've cut it so you can't see it. But it was I would always when I was little, I was like, look, you could see, you know, that there yeah, coming out the bottom yeah. of the basket. You know, and then again, you know, he, Dottie's all into him. He's not bothered, you know. And then uh, what happens is bike gets stolen, and it's and it becomes almost like very Hitchcock with that, with you know him freaking out and all that kind of a thing. And then it becomes this whole plan of well, getting his getting the bike back. And again, classic. He goes to the radio. He has the he has the famous meeting down the basement. You know, there's something you want to spend <laughs> with the rest of us. It's amazing, Larry. And he goes, "Here's a scale model of the entire mall." You know, and it's like a knitting and knitting. It's like all that stuff. Yeah. You yeah. know, at the beginning of that scene, all the bikes are in front of his house because they're all inside. And it's and it then springboards this adventure where he has to go. He goes to the psychic, um, uh, Madame Ruby, I think her name is. And she clearly is, you know, you have Tim yeah. Burton, a little cameo there where he's the guy comes out of the, the uh, we don't we don't care for strangers yeah. in and this neighborhood. And that's definitely the lot when he's walking around in the rain and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they, and then she tells him about the Alamo and the basement. In fact, I was looking for in that shot if you could, if I could see where 
um, where uh, in Gremlins, where he buys the Mogwai. Oh, you're right. Like because it does, it does look like you can go that, down a set of stairs because I've seen I've seen that. Like you, uh, that is on the lot. Like they point that out when you take the tour. Like this is where from Gremlin. Crap. So I was looking to see, like, is this that street on the back lot? Because I was like, because it does look a lot like that aspect of it. Yeah, and then she tells him to go to the Alamo in the basement, which is very funny, you know. And then that starts this road aspect where he's hitchhiking. Yeah, and uh, you don't realize that this is kind of a road movie. Like, it is in, for in a the big best, chunk of it. Yeah, yeah. You I know, mean, basically, his, Act Two is a road movie of him trying to get out to 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 get to the Alamo from wherever he's coming from. And uh, he meets up with the criminal, that guy who's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, in in the Etzel and uh, the whole scene when you know the, there's the uh, they come up to the uh, the the roadblock, and then the guy it's very, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very much like uh, Highway Patrol, that old '50s show, and they have to get out. And they, and, and it's, it's see from the, from that point now I look at it with my like four, forty year old you know glasses that maybe they're they're kind of making fun of the cops. When I was little, you know, it's like me, the, the, the cop doesn't know it's Pee Wee or you know, yeah, crossdresser. Yeah. But when he gets out and he's like, "I just want to look at that sweet little laugh," you have. <laughs> like, I think it's like so nice, you know. It's, I find it so funny. And then the next scene, he's driving and he's driving at night, and you can clearly tell. I mean, for us now that they're yeah. in a back lot, you know. And the I, I always love the signs are changing. Him trying to do this, then the car coming off, and then the guy leaving him there. And then the next sequence is it's animation. They have the, they animate his eyes walking around in the dark, mm-hmm. and he puts the glasses on, and then there's every animal in the world <laughs> you know and then it, but that's the thing the funny thing is because now like i said this was not a, a huge movie for me and I, I never disliked it or anything it just was never my movie and then but story. i would say watching it now like i totally appreciate it now more than i probably ever did yeah and i probably there's probably jokes in the movie now that i laugh at or that i think are funny that i probably never would have thought were yeah. funny as a kid well me i'm like, sorry i just to... didn't kind of get that when i understood it the comedy was <laughs> yeah. you know it's more about timing and or i probably sophisticated and or... i didn't pick up on like the the comedic <laughs> timing as a kid as yeah. i do now so it was like it was totally a very enjoyable viewing this time and it was there was a lot of genuinely funny jokes of course there's a lot of just absurd situations yeah which is part of the whole thing it's just peewee being thrown into these absurd situations like you know like the biker bar and and the, the, he somehow wins them over by doing a dance like yeah. the tequila dance which was huge when we were kids we him all did doing, that dance. yeah him doing that the, the big shoe the champs or whatever he gets the cuban heels and he does that dance and that's nothing i'm trying to use it. and then he's like, i say we let him go <laughs> <laughs> and it's well yeah like you know, that. It's a, and elvira coming out that's uh, cassandra P- uh, peterson being yeah. as elvira coming out which i didn't as realize mama yeah uh it's just, just such legendary stuff. I mean, my favorite scene in this whole movie was the Large Marge sequence. Yeah. And that was Lots like... Lots of legend. I would watch that just for that scene. And there then is I was like, a I was podcast done. that our two sisters that do... Uh, I've, I've actually never listened to it, but I know of them, and they do a podcast similar to ours in that they do a lot of the same kinds of movies that we do, we yeah. discuss, and their podcast is called like Large Marge Sent Us. That's hilarious. <laughs> And that <laughs> sequence was so, because I was in the trucks when I was little, Mack trucks or big tr- rigs. I was into the scary stories. So this whole thing where, you know, she gets into this truck with her. She never blinks her eyes, which yeah. I never noticed. There's a very um, big country song called the Phantom 309. 
which was written in the late '60s, that Tom Waits in the '70s covers, and this it, this is this it's it's one of these spoken you know like country songs are they speak the song to you, and it was this story of this guy hitchhiking he gets into this guy's big rig and it's the Phantom 309 and it's the entire story yeah. where at the end the guy lets him off tell tell him uh, big big Joe and sent you and then they when he gets into the restaurant it's you know he he's dead because he saved the busload of kids in the song or something because he, yeah, yeah. he he lost his brakes and he careened out of the way and this is the big Phantom 309 but it's the same thing where I, I always remember like it sounds like a garbage truck falling off the Empire State Building and then when he cuts to that stop motion or that little animated yeah. thing was, you know, now you look at it and like, oh, it's good. But back then it was insanely scary. I think it's still awesome. Yeah, oh, I do too. I'm not saying that at all. But it's it just, also reminds me. It was just, almost like you wanted not to look at it because it's so in scary. my head, it's linked to, uh, that scene always reminds me of Twilight Zone, the movie. Yeah. There's the aspect very much you want to so. see something really scary. But there's also that Joe Dante cartoon Oh, of him doing, yeah, with yeah, all like them. Segment, oh, yeah, you're, you're which right. Which is just like very a very much, similar feel to you know, it in my head. We've been talking about people doing mashups of movies. That would be a great mashup where you have Pee Wee hitchhiking, and instead of getting the, the truck, the rig goes by, and then instead Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> you want to see something really scary? Because I don't, no, I don't think that they're hitchhiking at that point in that movie. But then it leads him to the diner, and that's a very famous diner uh, where the dinosaurs are. Yeah, that's you know, uh, in Cabazan. C-A-B-A-Z-O-N, California, and of course, it's featured in such movies as The Wizard. Which you were just talking about, you just saw, and that's <laughs> another reason I wanted to bring that up, because you had just seen The Wizard. Red, Red Sullivan is the uh, country singer-songwriter who did The Phantom 309, if anybody wants to look that up. Uh, one of my favorite jokes is when he goes with Simone to watch the sunrise. Yeah. And she's telling they're, they're talking about dreams, and she's saying how she and her dreams. Pee Wee's almost romantic in that scene. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because it does seem like she's digging Pee Wee. Yeah, you know, and, well, all the girls are. You and, know, and uh, she's talking about her dream and how, but she can't go because her boyfriend, you know, f- flunked f- French in high school, and and uh, he says like uh, the lines are something along. It's like you know, you have a dream, you got to do it. You know, look, everybody's got a dream, but you know, there's always a big but. He's like, let's talk about your big butts. <laughs> that just it tickled me pink when we watched it this time because <laughs> he likes big butts and he cannot lie. But you even almost on the arc, he says in the movie he's he's learning learning humility. But he's his character as himself, he's kind of learning, you know, about people because he has a nasty streak. Yeah, Pee Wee's character he's has a selfish. Yeah, I mean, most kids that age. Yeah, remember when he's he gets that you know where he's literally and that's the, I think part of the comedy because it's like a little kid who's all fun and games till you fuck with him, yeah. and then the kid you know he's drowned and Francis in the tub till he's you know we're miles before anyone can hear us you know <laughs> and it's just so you know I just did some of the delivery where he's like I love that story or like excuse me excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's so, I find it brilliant. I mean, Paul Rubin sounds like someone I'd love to just chat with and talk to and get yeah. to know because he sounds like a, he he mu- sounds like a he must be a fascinating guy. Yeah. Like, you know, it sounds like he sounds like a pip. I mean, and then he meets Simone and, and that, and she's an actress later on who ends up cameoing with him in Batman Returns. They play the Penguin's parents yeah. at the beginning of that movie. And if I, my memory serves me correct, that was the first movie I saw Paul Rubens in post-Peewee after he was arrested. Yeah. So that was before Buffy, and that was you know Tim Burton connected. She's also in the... A lot of people make a kind of a comeback or, or a reappear in uh, the 2015 or 16 Netflix 
Pee Wee's Big Holiday. Yes, she doesn't play Simone, but she's in. Oh, that's cool. She's, she's in. in that. She's in it. She's got a character. There's a there's a bunch of characters like that woman that played like I don't know if she played uh, Yvonne from the show, but maybe the one that played her in the live show. Yeah. she's in that. There's a lot of familiar Pee Wee faces, you know that. Uh, Make an appearance. I have not seen that the 2015 movie yet. I've been wanting to. I just haven't had the time. And and then it just you have a whole bunch. Like I love the stop motion, his dream sequences where he's worried about his bike, and you have like the T Rex at one point eating it, or the second part which is very freaky where it's the they're having surgery on it, and you have that crazy looking doctor. Yeah. And there's a bunch of deleted scenes which we can also keep as an extra. They have deleted scenes in the magic shop of other gadgets he gets that later we're supposed to pay off at the end that he ended up then uh, they delete those out so there's no point even keeping them in there's a deleted scene with him with the doctor who's in that dream sequence that's trying to tell him he's going to be all right yeah. and uh that that musical cue in that dream sequence of him being the surgery being updated that's in a grand theft auto video game and a lot of times the, the band primus plays that before their their show starts they'll play yeah. that little musical interlude and it's just funny because you get to a to b that tall guy the lumberjack looking guy he looks like they said they were trying to get andre the giant for that role but he declined when he gets down to texas in the rodeo i love that joke with him like i'm in texas and he sings like and then again the joke i i i got that joke back then but the joke i just got now is it's when he, a good it's a good joke yeah when he, when he wakes up and they're like do you remember anything and he's like I remember this he's like i remember the alamo they're like yeah because that's the whole remember the alamo was the saying yeah. remember the alamo so that was that's hilarious and uh, you know him dress coming out is dressed up as like a cowboy peewee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't even know that you. I thought as a kid that you can go up in those dinosaur things. That's a set. You can't really. I guess everyone goes to that stop, that yeah. truck stop. I mean, they go up in it in the wizard, but it's totally different in the wizard. Yeah. So maybe they made they made the interior where you sit. Must be a different either a different set or that's maybe in the wizard. That's the way it really is, but. Uh, and you know, and then him hitching the hobo, and then him singing the hobo songs. The hobo guys, and very that guy's funny. obviously very familiar. To he's our generation. Yeah, he's that guy's in uh, Beetlejuice. He's the the guy that's flat. That's hanging. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then he's also in another Tim Burton. I forget what other. He's in another Tim Burton movie a little a couple years later. Uh, and you know, and then it ultimately he's in an episode of Growing Pains. He's, is he an episode? I think he plays a homeless. Guy. He can take his teeth. Oh, <laughs> well, he's a niche. You know, he's that, yeah. you know, that's his niche. Um, and then you know, we get to the Alamo, and you have the brilliant Jan Hooks, who I've absolutely loved. God rest her soul. She's passed away as well. Yeah. And they say her entire all her lines were improvised. Her making torti, you know, that whole presentation of how they're doing this. Do we have any? What did she say? Do we have any? Uh, Mexican Americans and well, Brandon's D is. <laughs> they all start yeah, laughing. Yeah. Then finally, he goes through that whole. It's so funny because that was me when I was little. When we go to Lake George, Fort William Henry, we'd have to go through, and I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to go through. Listen, to this guy. So at the end of it, you'd ask something, and that's very pee wee. Like, where's the? There's no basement. Are we going to see Alamo. the basement? Yeah, and that's the joke. Because later on, I guess in 2012 or something, they did an episode of Top Chef where they were doing Pee wee. Pee wee Herman was the 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 judge. And they did it in Texas, so part of it was they had the director of the Alamo thingy go and show him the bait. There, I guess there is a basement of the Alamo or something, huh. you know. Uh, and then that gets him, you know, jumping through this. He goes, we said to the bikers, those bikers are great. They're in a lot of episodic stuff. I love, <laughs> I love he gets on the bike. <laughs> he just <I> mean, flies <laughs> on <laughs> 
<laughs> it's with like a Looney Tunes cartoon. He kind of like leaves his imprint through the sign. And they said that they, they were so happy that the bikers didn't break up laughing in that because, you know, they look dangerous. And I love that idea that he wins them all over. They take him to the hospital. <laughs> it's just so, you know, and then the Cuban heels joke where he grabs the guy's shoes and he takes and the, the guy yeah, drops yeah. like three feet down. This. <laughs> And this he says that, jokes. And he you says know, this those is probably were, the most fun I've had watching uh, a movie for this in a long time. And he, he said goes, there's no CGI in that. He was he, that's him just getting up on his tippy toes through that. You know. Yeah. Well, you can see there's a clip of him. Oh, he whacks his head, right? Well, no, but there's a clip of him on the Gong Show mm. in the late '70s where he's doing. I, I assume he's doing that Native American lounge singer. Oh, his one of his alternate, and he starts heroes. doing. Like a like a Native American dance, yeah. And it's him, and he's not on those big shoes. He's just on like Converse stars, yeah. But he's walking on the tips of his toes, like oh, a ballerina that. kind of as part of the dance. So that was something that he just can do. And that was an, a, I think it's the Champs that song, and that was something where it's like, um, you know, that song instantly became recognizable for me for years later. That's a dance I would do, you know, all the time oh, growing we all, up. We all, did we all that because dance. of because of him doing that there. Um, I think he also plays Pee Wee in Back to the Beach, which is a yeah. Movie you're right. He does play Back to the Beach, yeah, which I is remember fondly. 1987ish or so. So then it leads up to him getting to the Warner Brothers lot, and I also love the idea when he was with the Escape Convict, and he says that was a, the studio gave them few notes in the movie, and one of the notes they gave them when they saw a test screening, which they actually liked, or maybe when they were reading a script, is to have the, they suggested the shot of looking over. Peewee behind him, the bike coming up with the truck, uh-huh. and you see them going the fork in the road. Yeah, and and he said, you know, that's a brilliant because it gives you, you know, a little. P- you, and then he said, when they saw test audiences, people reacted to that. You know, so he gets to, um, I forget why he gets to. I, the, you know, he gets to the Warner Brothers lot. It's and it's great the parody on the lot. He gets on the lot. Everyone's walking like they're making all these kind of movies. Yeah. Now here's a, here's a question: How? Uh, I don't want to put. You know, we got to wind it up. But, yeah. Uh, how many people do you think under the age of 30 know who Milton Berle is? <laughs> Nobody now. I mean, it's funny because, you know, what? Milton Berle's last uh, acting role was on an episode of Good Burger or Keenan Kell. Yeah. And I've, I've talked to people who've actually worked with Milton Berle, and there's two things I know about Milton Berle. One, he was a dick, supposedly. And one, he had a big dick. And, that one, and the other one is he had a big dick. Now, the other thing was he was a dick. He was a dick in the form of a Jerry Lewis uh, ass, where he'd be really mean. A guy I worked with was a handheld operator on, on some telethon with him, and he was a real dick at the beginning. But then at the end of the night, he said, listen, I'm sorry. It's like one of those kind of guys. Where yeah. you know, and then, but then the other thing was, and you, people may think we're exaggerating, but the urban legend is that he had a huge member, and then he would also try to show people. Yeah. He would want to show everybody, and that's all. I mean, I would, too. <laughs> like famously gigantic. Yeah, and, th- and that was, and Milton Burrow was the kind of guy where, you know, he was, he was a, a like a, cl- a comedy person who maybe did insult comedy in the 40s, and he's one of the first people where, when people were thinking about doing TV, people were like, that's, fuck that, who's going to want to go t- do TV? Milton Burrow openly embraced it and did the Texaco the Texaco Hour, and he is, I think, credited as one of the first bona fide stars on television. Yeah. You know, he went and over he had, big. He had a, a female, like a drag character that he did. Yeah, and, and, I mean, it's but so... But we bring him up because there's a very small cameo by Milton Berle well, how, when well, he's he, getting onto the lot. And it's... It, Milton Berle's also in the Muppet movie as Mad Mad Moody. Uh, so I knew who he was because of, of just, say, the Muppet movie and that kind of a thing. So you're right. I think audiences now don't know him. Uh but it's funny also because his joke that they wanted to use is, which I use all the time, is when he's walking on the lat. 
on the lot. He was he wanted to say rectum, damn near killed him, <laughs> but they couldn't use it because of censors. But the other joke, which is just as funny, I think, is what did he say? He's like he's like I, I says is it is it quack like a duck or it's a duck baby, and everyone starts yeah. laughing. Um, and he gets on set, and you know you see like he talks to getting directions. He talks to the knight. The knight is the actor who is actually um, we, we zombie. Okay, that's, that's yeah. him, you know, doing the high voice. And then when he gets into the nun outfit, I absolutely love this viewing. The kid from the 80s kid who's in the Wonder Years. Yeah. He, it's so, to me, he's dressed up as the, oh, that's why. Because you see he's in the hospital and he sees on the TV, the kid's dressed up as like a little James Dean from Rebel Without a Cause with the red jacket mm-hmm. about him excited about the new bike for the movie. That's how he gets to go to Warner Brothers. So when he gets to the lot, dresses up as the nun, he looks like, to me, he's dressed up as Mickey Rooney would be like in the old Hardy Brothers movies. Yeah, yeah. And I love the interaction with the director. Like, it's so brilliant where he's like, you know, talking to, you know. Oh, he's and great. The, That's yeah, and the Jason nun Hervey. Is, and the nun is yelling at him in, in, in the movie. His name's Kevin Morton. But like the nun yelling, like I can't have to put up with this. I don't have to put up with this. And she's like, he's like, you know, how? You see what I'm dealing with here, <laughs> you know? And of course, he's been on the show before because he's in Monster Squad. He's yes. one of the bullies. Yeah, of Monster Squad. I was gonna say, I, for some reason, I thought he might have been the older bully, bro- bully, and or brother in um, Flight of the Navigator, but he's not. But I, I love uh, that bit. He gets the he gets on the bike. Then that, of course, the whole scene when he's flying away. You have the golf. Who, as a kid, didn't love golf carts? You yeah. have a golf cart sequence, and you go through the different things. You have the beach bikini bingo where they're shooting. Uh, and Tim Burton and Paul Rubens talk about now how funny it is that Warner actually let them satirize it, that they were doing these movies like because they're almost poking fun at you know Warner's. Yeah. And then the next thing, you see Santa. And then for me, huge, they go on to a Godzilla. I loved Godzilla, circa, you know, Godzilla 1985, so that you see them. They were able to sign off. Tim Burton was very happy on getting... They were able to use the proper likeness of Godzilla and the proper Godzilla sound effects. Yeah. You know, so you have... And I think you have Gamera, you know, the three-headed thing. Loved all that. Come out. Then again, too... Twisted Sister, fucking uh, <laughs> you, don't you? Yeah, don't you hear no evil? Don't you? You're gonna burn in hell. I knew who Twisted Sister was back then. Who didn't? Because that's another thing. Now, who under thirty would know who Dee Snider and Twisted Sister are? Unless you're, they probably hear. If you heard the song, they'd probably know. Oh, like I know that song. We ain't gonna I, take it. That yeah, kid, yeah. maybe that kind of thing. No, we're yeah. not gonna take. But it. they were like, you know, they were presented, especially that video, like the evil, like yeah, you know, yeah. we're gonna kill our parents and you know have sex with their moms like the <laughs> Oedipus thing you know so to see them on that awesome Cadillac film and that you know don't you that was another great you know oh I know who because it's the MTV generation yeah, yeah. and then uh, you know it ends up being you know where that he gets caught like you said he, he saves the pet store with all the pets that's hilarious with him not wanting to take the snakes out you know and he's the last he comes out and he drops you know the snake and then they say hey you want to make a movie and they want to turn the story into a movie, and then they do the movie, and it's absolute brilliant. James Brolin as a James, it's P.W. Yeah, you yeah. know he's, and then it's uh, what's her face, Morgan Fairchild. That's Dottie, yeah. Yeah, and he comes onto the PX ninety, whatever. You call it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so all that's so funny. And then that uh, that drive-in, yes, is the drive-in in Greece, and it's like the first drive-in in L.A. And it was, and that's another subgenre. So we've done Greece on the show, and yeah, so check out our our, our 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 Greece uh, episode. But they say that uh, it that's an, if you you should go read up on drive-ins because that's an amazing thing in itself on how they design drive-ins and the areas and all that. But that was the first drive-in in L.A., which I guess soon after they tore it down, and it's not there anymore. But I love at the end how they have all the characters 
come again so you have everybody they go through like hey, he has french fries or yeah, trying yeah. to give him like the thing in the the big hot dog to the to what's his face in the car and he goes and you know and then you start watching the movie and it's all like you know very 80s with ninjas and you know <laughs> it's so 80s hair james rolls yeah and then he hair. plays a cameo as and the, that's as the, it, <laughs> as the person at the hotel does it, it, paul rubens talks about it was one of his best roles because he loves to to play a cameo where he doesn't know how to act. Yeah. So he looks at the camera, he's like, he's looking. And he's and so perfect. Yeah, it's so bad. And they dub him. And they said <laughs> they that. They don't even use this real voice. They said that the, the voice they used, there was a grip on the movie that looked like Clark Gable but had that kind of voice. So they said, you'll be perfect. So they use him in it. And it's just because he just goes like, bah, 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 bah. Yeah. he's like, Beijing Master Army at the front desk. And then, like, you know, the two shot, you see, like, him creeping in to look. It's just so, there's such subtle. That you, like you said, you don't get as a kid, yeah, like the yeah. delivery and the style, you know. So I loved all that, and yeah, you kind of just like as a kid, I just remember you get like all the goofiness. Yeah, and there are there is a lot of like this subtle humor, more maybe like sometimes wordplay, or just things that are just timed, kind of funny. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely a movie that I think ages well in terms of. Uh, you know, as you age and you watch it, I feel like you, you kind of pick up on, at least I did, you pick up on, on things that you didn't really ever pick up on as a kid. Yeah, and it's it's certainly, that ending bit is very surreal. I like how they, then they have like them drive, it's almost like it, you see E.T. going over the moon, you yeah. see them driving very nice with the two, with the two, with Across the, bu- the screen. Yeah, it's, I'd like that. So the movie comes out, I think it only has like a $9 million budget. It makes like $40 million. So CBS approaches Pee-wee and he says to Pee-wee, you know, to, I'm sorry, to, to Paul Rubens and think, you know, our Saturday morning fair is kind of falling behind. We want to do a kids-orientated show. you have any ideas? So they end up developing. He goes back, looks at the, the HBO stage show he did in 81 that, was, that aired on HBO, and he rejiggers that into a, uh, a cartoon morning show. And he decides to take out the adult tones. And to his credit, which I think is great, he, he ends up putting some kind of like, you know, he wants to do a little morality. And this show ends up being nominated for a bunch of Emmys, but he wins 15 Emmys. Yeah. So we're talking about this kooky, crazy show that's on for four years, but he wins 15 Emmys. It's credited doing, you know, it, it, it um, he, uh, he, he talks about, he never talked down to the kids. They had like, kind of like lessons, uh, you know, like, uh, Try to have Pee-wee be a positive role model, talking about different le- life lessons in the episode, like this is what you need to do or that, which I never really got because I never watched it so much, I <laughs> yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, um, yeah, there are lessons for sure. Yeah, and he, and he you know, uh, he talks about just, um, uh, I just lost my complete train of thought, um, and just, just trying to curtail it all to have a, a to, to be a children's morning show and uh, you know them using the found footage or the public domain cartoons the king cartoons yeah. you have an element of uh, stop motion animation in it the idea which I never really thought of but it's like he's getting on his scooter at the beginning to go to play at the playhouse yeah. so it's almost like a different world because at the end he shoots out and it's him going leaving the playhouse again mm-hmm. you have a lot of the people who end up uh, you know cameoing uh, you know uh, you had freaking Larry Fishburne. Uh, Larry Fishburne's in it. Uh, I th- a whole bunch of people. Cindy Lauper, unaccredited. She sings this this the this the song, but she's credited as somebody else in the um, on the title. If you look at who it is, but she uh, Ellen Shaw. She's credited with when she does it. The, the stop motion animation people who did it are the people who later go on to do Wallace and Gromit. 
and I think they had some of the same people who maybe helped him, the guy who did the stuff in Pee Wee, then who later goes on to do also like Nightmare Before Christmas and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and and that's a huge phenomenon that the whole show. I mean, you know, having like you said, Cowboy Curtis, Phil Hartman comes on, uh, ma- uh, the mailman guy. Um, it ends up winning. Uh, like I said, uh, four, 13 or 14 Emmys. And then what ends up happening is the show uh, is on for five seasons and then it, they tape uh, 45 episodes and they end up canceling it uh, in late 1990. In early 1991, he's, is in, July, or in July 1991, he's going to visit his parents in Florida. And while he's there, this is, I don't know, people know this notorious thing where he, he goes to a porn theater while he's down there to, to kill some time. There's notorious XXX film Nor- Nurse Nancy's on. And he, there's a sting operation in the theater because sometimes vice cops would hang out in the theater, look for anybody doing anything indecent to bust him. And they bust him for, for masturbating in the theater. And he has his hair grown out. He's got a goatee. You know, he's, it's, it's off season. They'd stop filming Pee Wee. But even though they'd stopped filming Pee Wee and it canceled, it was still running in syndication on CBS. So yeah. it was going to be running until like 1992. So once they take the mugshot, someone realizes, oh my God, this is I Paul Rubens. I think he might have, I think that's how I recall correctly, this is remembering back then. Yeah, because this is a huge thing when it happened. It was on the news. I, I was mean, driving up to Lake George in my parents' car and we heard it on the radio. Yeah. And I remember being sitting shotgun. My mom's in the backseat with my sister, and I was like, oh, wow, Pee-wee got arrested for For some me. reason, I feel like he might have said, been like one of those kind of like, you know, you, don't you know who I am? Oh, one of those. You know, I'm so- not positive, but I remember that as a kid, seeing that like, you know, maybe he people maybe it would have flown under the radar had he not been like, but I'm Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> but it, I don't know if that's true. That's just a recollection of a kid who was like ten or eleven at the time. And people talk about that he did it for like attention, which I do not. I don't agree with it all. I think it just you know he got caught. I mean, back then, you think you know this is a different era. I mean, you know now you can get your pornography on your phone, but it's an era where they still had. I don't. I, I was trying to think of this. I don't think they have any X-rated theaters anymore but in the 60s into the 70s and into the 80s we've talked about this as well there was porn theaters galore everywhere Times Square and all that a lot of the old movie houses so he was down there he got arrested and end up they they, CBS yanks the show from syndication and they replace it with the adventures of Raggedy Ann and Andy which I remember that cartoon version of that and he kind of has this kind of like you know oh my god people like oh well you know why do you do that oh it's because he was getting sick of the peewee character and he wanted to divorce himself from it and you know that there was all this kind of speculation and then i remember in 1991 very legendary the mtv music awards i remember watching that live and coming up as peewee and that was the first time people had seen him in public and dressed as Pee Wee since it happened, and his joke was like, "Hey, heard any good jokes lately?" And then everyone got a big laugh, and then yeah, he said something. I do remember that? And he said another joke too after that, like a follow up. He he said like, uh, I forget, like, uh, well, you know, it's not true or whatever. And then um, the the to, to talk about the show briefly, the the Pee Wee Herman show. They did season one in New York, and they said it was really hard. It was almost like sweatshop conditions. He was living in L.A. at the time, so he was flying once a week here to shoot the show. The guy who's in Devo, who ends up doing a lot of other stuff in uh, music and recording, he did, I think, either the, the song for the show as well as with Cindy Lauper, but he also did the music for the show, and he said how hard it would be where they would show him the footage on a Wednesday. By Wednesday night, he's writing stuff. He's recording it by Thursday. By Friday, he's giving it to them. They're cutting it in, and then it would air that Saturday morning. Yeah, wow. That was like the turnaround of that, you know, the, the machine that you were working with in that time. Uh, it, but by season two, they moved it to L.A., and then they say that the working conditions were a lot better, and, you know, it was... But, you know, it, it was... It's weird because 
They gave him carte blanche for the show CBS. They, you know, he had complete complete creative control. They were giving a budget of three hundred twenty five thousand dollars per episode, which was comparable to prime time television at the time. Yeah. So they had a lot into him, and he ends up winning fifteen Grammys. Yeah, I and, mean, it is you know, in retrospect, it is very celebrated. I mean, it's definitely commended for its like morality you know lessons and, yeah and all this which stuff. i'm a, i love that kind of thing you know teaching kids about this or the right. you know, like I mr rogers stuff i mean i don't know if you'd really get to be a, ever get to have like a real like inner like honest interview with him but i would just love to really talk to him about that whole thing and how you know it was did he feel saddled with Pee Wee, like, was it? Oh, people getting stuck, like Ed Norton, like R. Carney being typecast. Yeah, or, like, yeah. you know, because then it's like, and then you're stuck for four, five years doing a kid show, and he's certainly not, <clears throat> like, you know, I don't think he, well, he, you know, like Pee Wee was never invented to be a kid's but, thing. It yeah, was I, kind of a uh, an homage slash, slash, like, naughty, like, like you know, early, in the early 80s with the, with the live show. Yeah. You know, it was... I just wonder if, it, like, you know, I'm sure now there's enough time that even if at some point he had negative yeah, feelings it, it, about it, that he's probably there's a good it. there's a good chance that he now has gotten past them and looks back on it nostalgically or something. But I would love to talk to him about all of that because it's being thrust into popularity and fame, but not for being yourself. Yeah, but I think he kind of embraced it because he talks about. He was a smoker, and he 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 went very long lengths to try not to be photographed with a cigarette in his hand because it would look bad as kids. Yeah. He even was talking to a uh, um, a cereal company at the time to do a Pee Wee uh, Herman sugar free cereal, which didn't get past the concept stage. Yeah, uh, so he was looking. And he certainly you know, embraced it. Yeah, but and 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 knew the responsibility. Did it? Yeah, exactly. Of, of having that fame for the audience that he had, uh, which is commendable. And people like Whoopi Goldberg, Oprah Winfrey, Grace Jones, Little Richard, Joan Rivers were all appearances on the show. And then when he got arrested, Cindy Lauper, uh, Annette uh, Funicello, Zsa Gabor, Bill Cosby all came out supporting him. Like, hey, you know, give him a break. Yeah. This is, you know, and then. Um, the, they had the legendary Christmas special, which I love, and for the and was, you know, for his show, Sandra Bernard, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, you know Jimmy Smits, uh, Lynn Stewart, were Rob Zombie was a production assistant on it. John Singleton, who on, goes on to direct like Boys in the Hood, was a security guard on the show. I mean, yeah. I guess working on the show. But then when you do this, the season three. It, which only consisted of three episodes and then this all-star Christmas special. Uh, you had Annette Funicello, Frankie Avalon, Magic Johnson, Dinah Shore, Joan Rivers, Zsa Zsa Gabor, Ofer Winfrey, uh, Whoopi, Little Richard, Cher, Charo, Katie Lang, uh, Grace Jones. So you had like huge freaking names coming on. This almost comparable to like a Mr. Rogers show. Yeah, yeah. But it's out in wacky town. You know, to like, you know, ta- you know, so it was it was and ended up having a big legacy and it's all available now on DVD if you want to get the um Yeah. You know, I'm actually now we've talked so much about uh Pee-wee. I'm I might go back and try to watch Big Top Pee-wee again. Yeah, I haven't, see if I haven't a, seen it, so I would be curious to watch it. You know, and then I of course want to see the play, the the Pee-wee Herman the the Netflix show because yeah, I remember a, there's a was, net, there's a new Netflix, there's a more recent Netflix movie called Pee-wee's Big Holiday. And yeah. then there's also a new another I don't know when he did it. It seems like it was maybe a little bit before Pee-wee's Big Holiday. I don't know the timing, but there's another live 
a new or live HBO special. Of him as Pee-wee? It was like Pee-wee on Broadway or oh, something. Wow. And it's him and it's much, <clears throat> even more like Playhouse. Like oh. there's more characters that weren't in the original yeah. Pee-wee stage show from the early 80s. There's characters that are from the show. Yeah. Uh, from the, the Saturday morning show. And, I was and that's on HBO On Demand or, or HBO Go or whatever if, uh, for anybody that wants to check that out. And I would certainly recommend if you if you like the And it's a live audience that is our age that fucking grew oh, up. Oh, that's great. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like he's totally playing to the audience. It's like and every time I say the secret word, and everybody's like, everybody screams. And the whole <laughs> audience <laughs> screams. That must be great for him like now to be doing that. I would completely recommend, too, if anybody hadn't seen it, to check out the... 1981 HBO special because it's only an hour yeah. and it's a little wacky but it's definitely well, it's fun to see where everything of it. certainly where Pee Wee goes on for the movie but certainly a lot about 80 85% of it becomes Pee Wee's Playhouse just minus kind of the adult jokes yeah and they're not dirty like Ronnie Dangerfield jokes they're just funny you know yeah. references for just the more innuendo yeah you know so it's just fun and yeah so it's just weird because you and I pick movies out all the time and we're like hey let's do this one and then when we we go by ourselves the researchers. I was thinking about like oh this did, I guess this did have a big impact on me. <laughs> this is a fun yeah. This you know, one just kind of I think you know we were trying to think of something to do that was more kid friendly, and I don't know somehow it came up. I don't remember if it was you or me. Someone was like, well, what about we like Pee Wee? Like I think we talked about Pee-wee's it in the big past. adventure, and it's certainly been on the list. Yeah, of, you know, on the on the long list of things to do and then we were just like yeah okay let's you know, do that yeah. that should that'll be fun and it's certainly an era like i said like you know i was digging tim burton at the time i have a huge affinity for beetlejuice as well uh and that era of him and and so it's just it's yeah it's it's great it's a great excuse to go back and you know on the danny elfman score to go back and and and, and have a reason to go watch this stuff totally so it was a very fun time a, a very fun viewing and fun was had by all a fun all, all by all so um as we start wrapping this up and we start dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening and as always um, we hope you like what you're digging uh, you can always find Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers on all the uh, social medias we're on Instagram we're on Twitter we're on Facebook at uh, Sat Sleepovers at Sat Sleepovers you can find the form aforementioned Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers webpage where you can so- find exclusive content of like extras for episodes learn about Blake and I's bios if you want to learn about us or check out our our catalog, our podcast is on iTunes, all the other places you know about. Blake, what are you doing nowadays? Well, uh, the Score to Death, the podcast, is on hiatus, but still, there's well, a, you finished there's a back <laughs> catalog uh, it, that it'll return at some point. So you can check that out, Score to Death, the podcast. I'm also uh, the host of a monthly podcast called Cuts from the Crypt, where I play horror film music for the Damn Fine Network. Nice. Um, so the... Uh, it's usually the last Saturday of every month. So, so far there's been three episodes. It's been a lot of fun. As Dion knows, I love making mixtapes. Who doesn't? <laughs> and what a great excuse to make a mixtape, right? So I get to do that. Uh, I was even sending you stuff. I'm like, why don't you do this? Like, it's enough. <laughs> I think I did for the for the February episode, I took a, a, a suggestion, Ooh. which was that I had a little bit of a Valentine's Day themed. Because you're like, are you going to play stuff from like My Bloody Valentine and stuff? And so I did that. Ooh. That was a suggestion from Dion. And uh, what else? Scored to Death of the Book, Scored to Death Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers is, of course, available on Amazon, other book retailers, and from me directly at scoredtodeath.com. And recent appearances on uh, 26 movies from hell. Uh, 
F and I from Beyond. I did and and uh, in the Mouth of Madness. But uh, you know, if you're looking for a new film podcast, it's certainly a different vibe than our show. So give that a try. And of course, Dion also has a book. Oh, I do. I have a book called Blood in the Streets. It's a uh, '70s cop thriller, police procedural detective. If you if you like '70s cop movies or you like. Uh, historical fiction, that kind of a thing. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on Barnes and Noble. Wherever you get your stuff. Uh, audiobook. It's, it's paperback, audiobook, and ebook. Um, you can go to dionbaya.com. I've got my own little site too. If you want to get yourself an autographed copy, like uh, Blake gave me that idea. And as we like to say, please support your local podcasters. If you dig what we're doing uh, and you want to help us out, go check the book out and buy our books. That would be a great way of supporting us and what we're doing. And um, you know, so uh, that wraps up for this week, and uh, you'll see us back in two weeks. And as we always like to say, we'll see you long very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Later.